Coming to you from high atop our studios in the San Francisco Bay Area, you're listening to Tech Move. This is episode 34. In today's show, Rod and Keith talk about the new Sony A6500. We'll talk all about the new gear concerning lighting and uninterruptible power supplies, or UPS, as well as a fan favorite, the Put Me in a Coma segment, where we talk about what makes a good lens. I'm Rod Louie, and with me is Keith Moreau. Get ready. It's time for another exciting episode of Tech Move. Let's go! Once again, we want to thank each and every one of you for joining us here on Tech Move. It is episode 34, as we've already mentioned incessantly in our intro, but uh, I just want to throw it in there as filler anyway. This is the podcast that has no real date of when we upload new episodes. We just (laughs) kind of do it whenever we can, folks, and for that, we're greatly appreciative that you still stick with us, you still have some interest in what Keith and I have to say, and uh, it is a great thing to know that we still have all two to five listeners out there in podcast land. Uh, not, not that many listeners, but they're very loyal. They're very loyal, and we're, for that, we're, we're very, very grateful. It is Rod Louie here, along with the immaculate <laughs> Keith Moreau. Keith, I, was, I know I was you... wondering what adjective you were going <laughs> to come up with. <laughs> Keith, uh, how are you today? I'm pretty good, Rod. It's nice to talk with you. No, it's really, it's really, really great. You know, I mean, uh, you know, when we can record segments once every six months, that's always a great thing to do. Don't, <laughs> don't you agree? It's a fun hour to two hours of recording. Right. Yeah. I, I would like to talk about the new technologies of developing your own film right now. And I'll, no, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Just kidding. It's not that. Hold on good. a second. I, ha- I have to, my fixer timer is going off, so. Okay. That's a really obscure reference to film. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Very good. Uh, uh, okay. So, anywho, we are here on episode 34. And uh, we, uh, since the last time that we put out an episode, Keith, there have been so many things that have come out in the uh, uh, in our world that that gives us great joy. Mm-hmm. Not only cameras, but computers, all kinds of stuff. I, I want to hit them all in this intro uh, uh, segment, if we can. Let's do uh, it. Uh, if if time allows us, but I think first and foremost, what I would like to touch on, Keith, is this uh, story that had broken. I think since the last time we uh, we did a recording, and uh, you know we were talking last about the uh, the Sony uh, line of cameras. Of course, your uh, beloved uh, A7R2, A7S twos that are out there, and uh, we were also talking about you know possibly me moving into uh, APS-C uh, Sony system myself and maybe getting away from the micro four thirds which i've so affectionately loved for so many years and um 
But since that last time we spoke about that, which was we were, of course, talking about the A6000, the A6300, and all those great things. Well, Keith, as, as many of our listeners already are familiar with, heck, they might even own some of these things. The new Sony A6500 has been released a mere, what is it, seven, eight months after the 6300? Is that correct? Yeah, it seems like it's even shorter than that. They started shipping the A6300, and then like a week later, they they started shipping the A6500. Right, exactly. <laughs> it, it, I mean, just incredible. Now, you know what? I feel bad for the saps that bought the uh, 6300, uh, you know, uh, you know, about eight months ago, um, because this A6500 Keith has some features that just look so attractive to, especially a person like myself who's thinking about making a system change. We yeah. are talking about things like, uh, uh, specifically, the two major things on the A6500 that the 63 does not have is the in-body uh, motion stabilization and also touchscreen uh, autofocus. Mm -hmm. um, Keith, two very, very highly uh, desired features that uh when the 6300 came out that was what a lot of people wanted well you know sony delivered on that unfortunately a mere eight months later but nonetheless it's in the 6500 keith your opinion on this travesty for the 6300 owner well the 6500 is more expensive by about four or five hundred bucks almost yeah so that's a pretty significant you know, it's like a fifty percent more. Yeah. Then, then so that's one issue. Yep. You know, because it people are buying the sixty three hundred type camera because it's a thousand dollars or less. Correct. Um, if they wanted to spend more than a thousand dollars, then they might be getting a different camera anyway. So I don't know if it's that much of a travesty because they were in a sub thousand dollar market and now they're in a plus thousand dollar market. So, but. Uh, you know, this is what Sony does. You know, Sony released an A7S II about a year after my A7S. And, you know, it just totally devalued my A7S because it's <laughs> not even close to as good a camera. But, um, that's, a, you know, that's just life. Right. You know, I spent like $3,000 or so, maybe even more on the A7S. And then they come out with a total amazing replacement to it a year later. You know, right. So that's that's what Sony does. They're sure. just they're into releasing cameras and I love them for it. So you know, you, you know Keith, a lot of the features on the new 6500 A6500, excuse me Sony, gee whiz. <laughs> um like the you know the 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 uh five axis image stabilization in body. That's available right now in the A7R2, is that correct? Uh, that's right. That's right. Um, I, I, I think the only advantage maybe that the A63 slash A6500 cameras have is maybe they have more um, autofocusing points on them. Yeah, I think there's something like 400 plus uh, yeah. focusing points on that. Yeah, and that would be the only reason that I might possibly be interested in that particular 
the 6500 or over my a7r mm-hmm. uh, uh, too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right yeah uh, what are your thoughts about the uh, the touch screen? And you, you can you can uh, do you can pull low focus uh, using the touch screen uh, while in uh, I believe while in video. I think that's really really cool. I think that you know up till now the the only cameras that really had this touch screen focus that actually worked were the really expensive Canon EOS, either Cinema or um, just their high end DSLRs. Right. And uh, so this brings that touchscreen focusing that really works well to a uh, much, much less expensive camera. So I think it's, I think that part's pretty cool. I think that part's pretty, pretty amazing. You know, I can't wait for the A7R3. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Which ought to be released in about another week and a half itself, I'm sure, if they're, uh, if they're keeping uh, up to form. Yeah, I, I don't. I honestly don't know if they're going to release it this year. It's already December right now. Right. And uh, last, the last couple of releases have happened around November-ish, December-ish. So I don't know. They usually release the A7S before the A7R, and the A7S3 is not out yet. Right. So, no, I I might even get like an A7S3 rather than R, R3 because the S line is known for its low light capability. Right. Um, and the previous version of the the S's, no, none of them had the the uh, the um, in sensor focusing pixel. It's called phase detection autofocus mm-hmm. points. They they didn't have that technology in them. Whereas the A seven R two and now the A seven sixty and then the A sixty three hundred and A sixty five hundred had that. So I'm I'm hoping that the A seven S line is going to start getting that. And if it gets it, it's going to be the it's going to be the uh, video acquisition for everybody. Yeah, and I'm sure the price point will be very nice. Probably what uh, around probably what the three thousand dollar mark most likely. Yeah, I think it's going to be around three thirty two in that range. That's yeah. usually what they come out at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, hey, have uh, uh, have you had any experience with the Sony A sixty three hundred or six thousand? Uh, any of those bodies you've ever uh, uh, used yourself? I don't have any personal experience. I've never even touched one. You never even touched one? No. So, so uh, uh, here's one thing that, uh, you know, there are things, on, you know, on the internet right now that I've been doing a lot of research on because I'm really thinking about about uh, uh, jumping into this A6500. Yeah. And with a APS-C uh, system like this, you, you know, of course, you know, I, uh, I've made it uh, publicly known on this podcast many times that the uh, Panasonic GH series, mm-hmm. you know, our challenge is, you know, being micro four thirds and, you know, uh, low light incapability, <laughs> right? Just just not as sensitive as the Sony's, yeah. Uh with an APS-C sensor, how am I going to do with with that very problem? Um, theoretically, if Sony has done their job properly, then it should be great. Because in actuality, the low-light capabilities of my A7R2 in, in APS-C mode, mm-hmm. which is basically what I shoot video in, yes, um, is really, really good. Um, High so, ISO you shoot with as well? Yeah, I shoot... I think it's still pretty usable up to 25,000. Yeah. 
In fact, uh, some of the studies have shown that the A7S2 and the A7R2 are pretty much the same in noise uh, at high ISOs up until about 25,000 mm -hmm. ISO. So basically you can use an A7R2 and you won't see any difference in the noise levels. It's still just as sensitive. And then after 25,000, then it starts getting a little bit noisier. So, so so it starts to degrade about 25,000, which is really, I mean, that's really incredible when, you know, what I'm talking about in my, you know, in my GH1 is, you know, after 800 ISO, I'm pretty much done for. Yeah, and that's still the same in the GH4. Yeah. Even the, the most modern um, Panasonic line. They just haven't improved their sensor and pro post-processing capability to the point where it's it gets rid of some of that noise, that inherent noise that's in that smallish sensor. Not to say that they won't. It's possible. You know, they're going to come out with a GH5, which I think has a, it's like a six, five or 6K recording. And maybe maybe they're working on that and getting that noise level down. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Don't, don't know. Right. Don't I know. Mean, it's going to come out next year. I, I, I'm expecting the GH5 to come out uh, uh, pretty soon. And, and, you know, it's going to be, quite the decision that I'm going to make is whether or not to, to switch. But I mean, boy, oh boy, all things are just pointing uh, uh, to the Sony 6500. It's, um, it's, it's really nice. I mean, just, uh, you know, the, the uh, different uh, speed booster adapters that are available. I'm not just talking about the Metabones ones, but, you know, Comlight has one. I, I think Sigma has one. All you know, a, a lot of these different companies have ones that take advantage of all the electronics for the APS-C systems. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of um, a lot of peripherals and a lot of mods and a lot of cool things for the Ace, the A7 series. Yeah, um, it's just a testament to their popularity. Yeah, you know, they they. And and this is just what happens, you know. When a camera gets really popular, selling a lot of units, the third party people say, "Hey, we can make some money by making peripherals for this company right. for this type of camera," and that's right. what's happening. Yeah. So, um, it's still, you know, it's still kind of a lot of stuff. It sounds like you're you're starting to rev up spending a lot of money, like you, you like you have a certain amount, of, a certain budget that you're gonna start plopping down on this on this camera. Yeah, that's what I, I'm kind of kind of sensing. That, that 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 that's a good sense that you have because uh, <laughs> it, it, I am very much thinking about you know revamping the entire micro four thirds uh, uh, gear that I have and mm -hmm. moving it over uh, to this uh, Sony line, and uh, it, it's it's going to be it's going to be quite an adjustment. I mean, the, you know, hey, there is no doubt in my mind that I am going to miss this fully articulating screen that I have right now. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. I mean, the Sony screen, I mean, they talk, oh, boy, it flips out. Oh, boy, it does this. It's it's pretty lame looking in comparison to, to, the, uh, to, to the Panasonics, I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think there's any comparison. I don't, I don't even know how they could, could say that it's uh you know really really great. The only thing that's neat about it I think is is the touch screen. You can focus from there, but uh you know other than that, you know we we have uh what he, uh overheating issues mm -hmm. uh, uh with the Sony's uh, uh not so much nowadays. You think so? Yeah, I don't well, from what I've heard, 
the 6500 doesn't have the same overheating issues that the 6300 had. The 6300 was basically unusable for video because it just overheated instantly mm. or within a few minutes. So that's just, just can't use it. But apparently the 65 doesn't have that limitation. I, I haven't done a ton of research before. The little little things I've read is that it's way better. I'll, I'll tell you an interesting experiment that I saw uh, online, which is uh, somebody uh, uh, put a A6000, A6300, and an A6500 side-by-side outdoors ran video. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 6000 crapped out like in five minutes or something like that. The mm-hmm. uh, the 6300 uh, kind of crapped out at about 20 minutes. Uh, mm-hmm. And the A6500... Uh, I think kept going for, you know, uh, uh, you know, until the uh, uh, the auto shut off, right? Which is what thirty minutes or something like that, and then mm-hmm. and then they just restarted it again, and it kept going and kept going. So, uh, but then they also said that uh, another person who had a sixty five hundred, they did have an overheating issue. So it almost seems as if y- you may get lucky or you may not get lucky with a particular camera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know, I don't know. You know, it's one of those things where I guess you roll dice and hope for the best. Yeah, yeah. Well, but you know, hey, uh, you know, for 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 what I shoot, I usually don't do like what you what what you do, which is you know, you, you know, you hit your you have it as your B camera and you let it roll for hours on end and just capturing everything. I, I, I don't have anything like that. That would be for me something more like my A camera where I'm taking, you know, probably no more than five, six minutes at a time. Yeah. Uh, I don't something. unless you start doing like professional interviews where people are sitting down talking forever. Right. You probably don't have the same same uh I don't have that need. criteria. Yeah, criteria. Yes, I, I I don't have that requirement uh, because if I have to listen to someone speaking for longer than six minutes, I'd probably want to kill myself anyway. So. <laughs> Except well, for if it's me just talking, because I <laughs> love the sound of my own voice. Well, you will be doing a bunch of selfie recordings, so that might be yes. An issue, but this is oh, well, and and for that, I'm going to need the ultra long recording features. So I'll, We're I'll, just going. to... <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll make a special bed of ice for the A6500 and just put it in ice while it's recording me. And that's actually not necessarily a uh, that's not necessarily a bad idea. I mean, <laughs> you know, or or just get some of those liquid cooled things that are on the uh, GPU cards and right. rip them out and stick them on the A6500. That's right. This is correct, <laughs> but but you're right. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a major investment, right? I mean, like you know, we're like you said, okay, what fourteen hundred bucks for a body only? That doesn't even include a lens. I need a lens because I don't have anything right now. Yeah. So and, you, and do you get do you get a an EF lens or a different kind of lens and adapt it, right? Or do you get a native Sony lens and and deal with that and the expense because they're pretty expensive the new ones there you go exactly Uh, do you get prime lenses do you get some zoom lenses you know how 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 expensive are you gonna like what's your budget and then like what what do you think your budget is for this you know uh, here here's what i'm thinking here here's what i'm thinking just off the 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 top of my head a6500 some sort of adapter whether it's a sigma uh, was it MC11, is it? 
Yes. I think it's MC11. Mm-hmm. And then maybe a Sigma art lens. Okay. I'm thinking that's, about that's that. A real, that's a good combo. I, I, I think that that could be a very interesting combo that could get me around for years to come. I think that that combo, well, like, for example, the 18 to 35. That's what zoom. I'm talking. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. So, yeah. So you get the you got the 14 or so hundred dollars for the 6,500. Then you've got maybe another, say, 14 for that lens combo. Mm-hmm. So now you're up to with 20. The, with the adapter, right? Yeah. With the adapter yeah. included. So now you're up to about 28. Yeah. Um, rounded up to 3,000 just for tax for and license thing. and dock fees. Yeah. Um, so now you're up three thousand. So three thousand. You have a three thousand dollar budget. Yep. Okay. I I I I think that that I think that would do a extremely nice setup. I think that would be a very nice setup right there. That would be really nice, and then you could get any type of EF lens. Now the thing is, your your autofocus may not be as as quick as it should be. That's what I hear, but yeah. I, but I, you know, but coming from nothing, that probably would be good enough for me. Okay, good. And then there's a whole bunch of used EF glass out there that you could you could probably get, um, you know, on eBay if you want to get some primes, or you can get some Rokinons or other yeah prime lenses if you really wanted to get into that super high end uh, recording. And I think the actual recording quality would would be excellent, either either photos or or video. I'm I'm also I, I'd also like to discuss a little bit because this is right up your alley, the uh I think it's the S log uh, yeah. uh recording. Is that correct? It's supposed to be excellent. For video, yeah. 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 I You're, actually use it pretty much all the time now. So on, on my Sony's. Yeah. True or untrue, when you shoot an S log you have to overexpose your image by like a stop or two? Yes. That's always the best way to do it. And huh. it's actually not well. You, you need to just have a method for exposing. You need to have a, a very reliable method for knowing how exposed or or overexposed you are. Because it's actually kind of hard to tell on S-Log. Uh, S-Log makes everything look kind of flat. Yeah. So you can't really I, tell. I, I've, I've, seen, I've seen those out-of-camera images of S-Log. Yeah. Holy macro! You think you're getting gypped for all the money you're spending on a camera. Right, right. So, um, So probably the best way to do it is to set your set your zebras up so that they are exposing white at a certain level um, where reflected whites are overexposed. I think 70, 75%. So get something that's like a white wall that's a reflected white, you know, like where there's some light hitting the wall. Mm-hmm. Like that's going to be white. And then set your zebras up for like 70, 75%. I think that's the way to do it. And then, then you know that you're going to be over a stop or two. I smell a coma segment coming on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I, but I think that's something that we might yeah. want to address, uh, uh, you know, in another episode down the road. That, yeah. And that, this is the thing is I don't do that necessarily. I have um, monitors that have LUTs in them that are set up for one to two stops overexposure. So I can just look at the image on the camera. Um, but anyway, we'll get into the coma-ish stuff in another segment sure. on the exact things. But basically, sure. if you if you don't do this perfectly, you can wind up with um, skin tones that are just really, um, like, have no detail in them. Like like somebody's face just looks like a, like one, one level of flesh color, and that's oh. it. 
Uh-huh. So it can really flatten people out if you if you overexpose them, because then okay. then they're then the, it's too saturated and there's no detail, there's right. no contrast in that part of their image. Right. Anyway, so we'll get to that point later. But yeah, S log is awesome. It gives you really nice video when you delog it later. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, that's what I, 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 I'm 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 thinking about uh, uh, you know th- that kind of combination. That might be something that could. Uh, could last me for a while and I could be quite happy with. Yeah. Well, I mean, videos, stills, either one. I think, I think, I think it'd be, I think it'd be a a good way to go. I'm excited for you. Thanks. Um, One of, I don't know if you uh, checked out our, our um, actual website page. What's our website again? Oh, it's techmovepodcast.com. Ah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. And actually all over the website page is a way to support the podcast, which is, um, I linked it's uh, techmoodpodcast.com slash Amazon. So um, hopefully we'll release this before Christmas so you can do your Christmas shopping and use that link. Yes. Tech, techmoodpodcast.com slash Amazon. I, uh, when I finally decide to, to uh, break the piggy bank and go, I will be purchasing uh, <laughs> through Amazon at techmovepodcast.com slash Amazon, and I will uh, help support the uh, the podcast in that way. Well, that'll be awesome. Yeah, no, that'll be great. That'll be great. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so that's my uh, that's my thoughts on uh, on the A sixty five hundred. I will keep you and our listening audience uh, apprised of any changes or if I actually get the thing. Okay. Um, but of course, I'm waiting to see if uh, some guy drives up in a uh, open pickup truck and throws one at me or something like that. So, uh, uh, well, that's so, cool, Rod. Well, you know, we'll see. I, you when, know, when do you think you're going to get it? You know, maybe first of the year. Maybe first of the year, something like that. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm thinking. So I'll, I'll. I'll keep you all updated as as far as that goes, and see see what happens. Uh, but I think it could be quite interesting. I. I, I really. Um. I, from from everything that I've seen, it just looks like a a, a a nice piece of gear that can do a lot of things that I I just either can't do now with the with the GH1, or I don't know how to do. And I think the Sony can do it a lot easier. I think so. Well, you're definitely in good company because there's going to be tons of people that are going to be using this A6500 and really love it. Yeah. You know, and then and that had the GH4 and had all the Panasonic stuff and sure and are just switching over because sure. they just love the A, A6500 so much. I just find it so shocking that uh, you know I know I was expecting a lot of people in the Micro Four Thirds world to kind of move over into the Sony systems, right? Whether they're Panasonic, Olympus, whatever it is over to to the Sony's. But what I'm more shocked by is all the people coming from Canon and Nikon mm-hmm. who are actually moving over to APS-C right now. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of Canon people are a little disillusioned with the video, especially the video people. Um, because the, the A series has so many video um, tools, like for focusing and exposure, that the Canon stuff just doesn't have. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, like poke, uh, peeking and being able to punch in and, and zoom and check your focus while you're recording. Right. And uh, zebras and, you know, all kinds of all kinds of neat stuff. Right, right. Um, right. And they just 
kind of throw that in and and Canvas, you really can't do that. You have to just kind of guess. And still, still amazing images on the Canons. Uh, but now you can start getting those amazing images on the Sonys too. Sure. So yeah, that's why I use. Now I don't really use my Canons yep. anymore. I only have yep. one Canon left, and I'm probably going to sell it. C100. Oh so. my gosh. Well, well, we have to talk about that. But yeah, uh, l- let's do this. Um, let me hit the pause button right here. Okay. We're going to come back with more of this intro because there's a couple things I want to talk about. Okay. Uh, but let us take a quick break, and we will come right back more with this uh, really uh, nice-to-be-back episode mm-hmm. of Tech Move. Uh, Keith Moreau, Rod Louie with you. We'll be right back in just a moment. We're back with more tech news. It is Rod Louie and Keith Moreau. And uh, continuing on here with our uh, just kind of our catch-up stuff, ladies and gentlemen, I want to move into the computer world, if we could, Keith. Uh, okay. Because um, I was, uh, during our little break here, I was alerted of something that uh, made me rather upset, if I, uh, if I may. And that is, um, Keith, I have... Uh, my iMac, uh, which is a 27-inch mid-2010 iMac, has just been put on the vintage and obsolete products list over at Apple. Oh, yeah. I couldn't be more frustrated and angry by this. I mean, look. Not that I have really any problems with the machine or I really take it. I don't think I've ever taken it in, frankly, right? I mean, it's it's still a great machine. It's the, But to put the darn thing on a vintage and obsolete products list is like saying, you know what? This machine is ready for the scrap heat. Ah! I'm disgusted by this, Keith. I'm 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 appalled by it. This is just terrible. It's terrible. Look, look at this. I'm going to quote this thing. Vintage products are those that have not been manufactured for more than five and less than seven years ago. Mm. Now, obsolete products are those that were discontinued more than seven years ago. Holy mackerel. That means that, what, the eight-year-old kid should be thrown away? What the heck is going on around here? (laughs) I'm disgusted by this. Uh, You know, I am right now, Keith, recording this podcast through my beautiful 27-inch mid-2010 iMac. Mm -hmm. And it's as bright as... I have to turn down the brightness of it. It's so bright for crying. It's beautiful. It Mm -hmm. it works like a charm. You've Mm -hmm. seen it. You you know, I I think you'll agree it runs pretty well. Mm -hmm. Obsolete. My buttocks. Sorry for my cursing. (laughs) 
I, I'd, I'd like your thoughts on this. Obso- well, you know what? Actually, why should I be asking you? You're one who throws away your computers after about <laughs> like three weeks anyway. So I, you're the wrong person to ask. But uh, I, uh, but I, I want somebody out there. Huh? That, Go on. That's actually not true, Rod. Really? Go I'm, ahead. I'm currently... Explain re- yourself. I, re- I'd like to hear this. <laughs> I am recording this podcast and do all my editing and my whole life is based on a computer that was... Um, first produced in 2010 that's uh so just like mine then just like mine yeah except mine's not on the vintage or obsolete product list it's not no i guess not i want a full inquiry (laughs) on this i do not believe it one iota no i I was i was looking i was looking Hmm. um so so i'm on a mac pro right on a 2010 mac pro right um they they continued making and i think here's the thing they didn't yes. i think the problem is, is they didn't update the mac pro at all uh <laughs> until 2013 so my 2010 mac pro was still the same mac pro in 2012 so i think that's the reason it's not vintage or obsolete yeah. they just were really slow in updating it so i guess i guess i'm the I, I'm the lucky. I, I won the lottery on that. Well, but, you know, uh, uh, you, you know, what's funny about that. I'm, I'm scrolling the list, right? And uh, and under uh, under Mac desktops, at least it has on there. My original Mac Plus is now a obsolete <laughs> product. Which you know, okay, that I kind of understand. Okay, mm-hmm. that I kind of understand. But this is my 2010 iMac for, for crying out loud. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, okay, so what does it actually mean, though? I mean, what's the real consequence? Not, not so much. Not you're, so much. you're exactly correct. That's, yeah. that's what it is. I mean, the, the only thing is that what I can't take it into the Apple Store and they won't fix it or something like that. Or honestly, uh, I think it only applies to if you lived outside of the United States or Turkey. Um, in your now, case. see, I was thinking about moving to Turkey, but now that because of this, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna have to change my plans. <laughs> no, I think I think it's okay if you move to Turkey. Oh, then I am moving to Turkey. <laughs> you could still move to Turkey. Good. You can either stay here or move to Turkey. But Good. if you move outside of if you move anywhere else other than the United States and Turkey, then your Mac will not. You won't be able to buy parts for your Mac. <laughs> Frankly, you won't be able to get what's so big in Turkey? Why did they? <laughs> I don't know. Turkey, I'm not sure. Maybe what, because what? it's Thanksgiving. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, our, wait, our fine wait. listeners in Turkey, I, I I still want you to know I'm still moving out there. So don't don't worry. I'll be I'll be I'll be there soon. Maybe in yeah. a week and a half. We'll see. I think the um the the Apple obsolete and vintage product steering committee just like threw a dart at the world map. <laughs> And it landed on Turkey. <laughs> right, I'm not exactly. sure how they chose that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, look, you're, you're right. In the bigger scheme of things, what does it matter? You know, what, what, what what's it going to do? These machines yeah. are still running great. They're still doing what we need them to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are experienced enough to be able to make uh, a certain you know, uh, upgrades and or repairs to them if needed. Uh, you're right. I mean, who who cares if it's on the list? It's just, you know, one of these things where, I mean, this list is growing so long. I mean, you, you, you should scroll down this thing. It's, it's, it's yeah. Well, there's, 
They have a lot of products. I get it. There's a lot of products, and probably a lot of these products were on the list, have been on the list for a while. Right. It's just growing. Yeah. You know, the Mac has been produced for like 20-something years, 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's 30 years. <sighs> so, well, yeah, what, do they, what do they have on here? They have, it's kind of a neat, it's kind of a neat list. It's an amazing amount of computers on this and products on this thing. Now, do you see in the middle of the Mac desktop list, it has Mac Pro on there? Yeah, that's the. Well, what does that mean? That's the original Mac Pro. That the original, in, original. Yeah, I think it came out in two thousand six. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So my okay. So I I do have a I do have a, a Mac Pro, a two thousand eight Mac Pro, and that's on the absolute list. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted to get spare parts, so here's the thing: you're not going to be buying spare parts from Apple anyway, yeah, because they're going to charge you like five times what you can get these things new on eBay. So True. like here, okay, here's an example. Okay, I'll give you an example. Um, I think I texted you the other day that I was I was gonna, in my quest for uh, speed, <laughs> yes, to finally eke out the last, just just ring out the last little <laughs> bit of performance out of my 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 almost vintage uh, Mac Pro. <laughs> I was toying with the idea of upgrading my processor even when I first got it. So my Mac Pro um, in 2010 it was the fastest Mac Pro you could get. Right. And it's a 2.93 gigahertz processor. Right. That's pretty fast. And it's yeah. it's a 12 core. So it's it's just, it's a monster machine. It's got two 12 core processors in it. Incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. And and, and since then, they actually upgraded. This, it's a Xeon type processor in there. And, and then in the next couple of years, the Xeon processor advanced and it got faster. And the very fastest version of that processor was a, a 3.46 gigahertz. So it's a... You know, kind of incremental jump from uh, 2.93 to 3.46. So it's about, it's like 20% faster. Sure. Okay. And 20% maybe isn't that big of a deal, but when you're trying to wring out the last little bit of of performance, it's it, it, it has some significance. I mean, imagine right. everything just goes a fifth faster. Sure. So over time that adds up. So, so I started investigating, and Otherworld Computing actually offers a turnkey thing where you take your whole processor board, so the the Mac Pro is so amazingly designed. Like they should never have discontinued it. It's just an amazing machine. Mm-hmm. Um, you can just take the whole processor board out, and it's like this aluminum, amazing aluminum tray that has the two heat sinks that go over each processor. Oh, so take, so it's already like on this beautiful rack then. Yeah, the whole motherboard or part of the motherboard, I think it's the processor board, is on this rack that has a big socket on one side, and it pulls out of the bottom of the Mac Pro. And it's got these two massive heat sinks that are basically stuck on top of the <clears throat> processors. But it's kind of hairy to do that yourself. So OWC was offering for a certain fee, not cheap, to if you sent these process, this processor board in, they would send you a box to pack it up nice and everything. They would switch them and then to the new processors and send them back. And I think it was like when they first came out, it was expensive. It was like two thousand dollars to do it and that's gotten cheaper recently it's maybe about still like thirteen hundred dollars or twelve to thirteen hundred something like that okay so so but at least that sounds a lot more tolerable yeah and it's not it's not like like i'd have to get a if i wanted to get a new mac pro and the fastest mac pro now the cylinder it would be to get an equivalent machine like like i have now and get a new mac pro it would easily cost me like twelve thousand dollars Right, because I'd have to get the Mac Pro plus all these extra peripherals plus this external Thunderbolt, which has a you know Thunderbolt to PCI cage and then all this other stuff, and it's just a huge 
disruption. So yep. this was kind of an easy way to do it. But then I, I started investigating on the internet. Well, how is it, how, what are they actually doing in there? What are the, you know, how hard is it to, to actually just replace the processors? Right. And I found out that replacing the processors is not that difficult yourself. Oh, okay. Yeah. So are I there did some videos res- out there of it. Yeah, anything? there's a few videos. Most of the videos are people that are even mm, cheaper than me, and <laughs> they bought the even the, the one that is a vintage or obsolete uh, 2009 Mac Pro because there's no, almost no difference between that Mac Pro and the 2010 Mac Pro. Uh-huh. Isn't that amazing? There's just hardly any difference. Wow. Okay. Um, really. Well, yeah. that's not that's not a great thing for Apple, isn't it? That's not really <laughs> saying all that much about them. Yeah, it's it's just merely a firmware change. Um, so most of the, the, the videos were on how to convert your 2009 to a 2010 mm-hmm. and then and then, then how to upgrade your processor. So I kind of just skipped that part. But it was actually even easier. Um, the only real difference between the 2009 and 2010 Mac Pro was that the the uh, processor itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you look at these, these Xeon processors, they're basically like one and a half by one and a half squares, if the actual just raw processor. Mm-hmm. And they're maybe about an eighth of an inch thick, and then on the bottom is a whole bunch of like um, little dots of copper. I guess it's the connectors. Okay. And then, but they're not like holes or anything. They're just dots. Um, and then like dots of conductor material, and then and then on the top of the uh, Xeon processor is this kind of metal cap, and it covers pretty much the whole top of it. So it's just kind of like the silvery. Uh, metal colored cap on the top. Mm-hmm. So you really can't, you know, get to any of the, the chip. You don't see the chips inside of it. It's all okay. covered. Okay. Um, well, for some reason, the 2009 Mac, they they used an uncovered version of that processor. So it didn't have the cap. So it had, all, had the processor under there. You could actually see it, that chip. They actually would, you'd have to put the, you'd have to um, do a bunch of stuff to basically get that, <laughs> get that chip to work. Uh-huh. Um, you'd have to put the the compound right on that chip part, and it was kind of scary and hairy. Well, the 2010, you don't even need to do that. You uh-huh. just need to put this compound. It's this heat sinking kind of compound, right? You know, it's like a grease. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just 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 like when we all uh, always used to uh, build our own PCs. Same stuff. Yeah, yeah same stuff. So yeah. I did some search on the internet. I found out how to do it. It's you know seemingly trivial, and after actually doing it, it it was not that big of a deal but it was still pretty darn hairy <laughs> so you did it you you, I, you you did you undertook it and you did it yeah so what i did was on amazon actually i found somebody that was selling brand new processors because there was a bunch of people on ebay that was selling used processors mm. um for like i could probably get a couple used processors for as little as four hundred dollars two hundred dollars each so that's a lot cheaper than the $1,200 for the whole thing. Yeah, and also, absolutely. And all, yeah, and also my computer wouldn't be down for a week or whatever while they switched it out. Mm. I would do it myself within an hour or two. Right. So I got the processors. I bought this special thermal grease called Arctic Silver Thermal Grease, and I got this anti-static wristband. And I got oh, nice. Yeah. Special, <laughs> yeah, and I got this special cleaner to clean the grease off and prepare the surface yes. for the heat sinks. Exactly. Yeah, and... Uh, <laughs> And I did, a, and it was really kind of scary. Right. But I took, yeah. But I took the processor out, and you even have to. So these huge, these heat sinks that are on each of these processors on the Mac, it's amazing. Their technology is, it's so cool. Um, 
there's these kind of like stacks and they're about five or maybe four or five inches high. Right. And they're kind of like rectangular cubes of just heat sinking material with like little tubes running through them and fins. Uh-huh. It's kind of like a radiator, like a car radiator. Okay. And all this thing, and with a fan kind of built into it. And all this stuff is sitting on top of the CPU, like this four inches of kind of aluminum radiator stuff. <laughs> cube is sitting on top of it and there's four screws that are holding it down to the processor board so you unscrew those and you have to kind of unscrew them like one one of the four screws at a time and then a couple turns a couple turns so you don't pull it all up at once (laughs) and you take this off and then you see this kind of greasy processor there right that's held in by this kind of mousetrap thing sure that that pushes down on the processor and you undo yeah yep so yeah, cl- it, 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 it's just the clip that holds it right to the motherboard and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, and pushes it down, yeah. Yep. But there's a couple of caveats. Like, you can't, supposedly you can't leave this connector that's on the actual motherboard thing exposed for very long. Oh, so you, yeah, you're supposed to leave, you're, if, you, if you leave it exposed, you have to cover it with some type of special cover. So I just left the old processor on there until I was ready to, until I had everything prepared. Um, and since my new processors didn't have any junk on them, they were totally new. I just you just put this kind of pre- preparation liquid. Arctic Silver um, is this company, and they sell all kinds of stuff. Right. And they advised how to put the 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 pattern of putting the heat heat sinking compound on there, and how to prepare it. Sure. You, like, you right. put this. Yeah, you prepare this stuff with a couple different cleaners, each surface, the pro the new processor surface and the heat heat sink surface. Right. Clean them really well, and then you actually put a little bit of the Arctic Silver compound, and you kind of buff it into the surfaces of each thing and so it kind of gets in there kind of like a wax sure. so it fills up all the microscopic little holes sure. in the metal sure <laughs> oh yeah it, quite detailed <laughs> yeah. it's scary you're you're, you're you, you you got to read it twice and, and just do it once right yeah, yeah yeah it's like you don't have a second chance so yeah. and you know don't don't con- take it uh touch any of the connectors or anything mm-hmm. and and uh and then so i just put this pattern down did all this preparation did one and it was like got that one done screwing them all down kind of evenly so that they pushes pushes down right. um put the second one down i was a lot better on the second one because i'd done one already right and then put that down and i got to dust out my whole computer and everything too there's a lot of dust in the heat sinks oh, sure, and everything. sure 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 yeah and you know all my computers disconnected and and i s- slide the processor tray in and click it in and plug the computer back in and press the little little power button right and just i'm kind of praying at this point right Ho- hoping that some light comes on and not a flame or anything like yeah. that. yeah and am i gonna am i gonna hear the bong right is it gonna start booting so i press it wait it seems like a long time uh-huh. i'm not sure maybe when you change a processor it takes longer right and then i hear bong nice <laughs> nice <laughs> And then I see the the familiar scrolling of the booting and all that stuff that happens on my sh- system. It looked exactly the same. Oh, fantastic. Exactly the same. Fantastic. Check the processor speed with my system information. It was 3.46 dual. Did a few things to it. Everything worked exactly the same as before. I, I have this fancy um, monitoring software called iStat Menus, mm-hmm. which puts all the different processor temperatures and things on the menu bar. Yes. And it was all really cool and working well, cooler than before. So, um, like before I changed it, it was actually hotter 
than after I changed it. Oh, nice. Because I think maybe just putting this Arctic Silver on and doing it the right way and replacing the grease. Because I think, you know, in the factory, they just kind of slop it on and they're not just careful, right? I'm sure they have machines that do that. Yeah, probably. So, um, and also apparently this Arctic Silver stuff, over time, it it cures and gets even better. Mm. So anyway, so that's my... I have other things that I'm doing to my Mac Pro as well to get it to be teeny bit faster. <laughs> so, but that's the main thing. Well, congratulations. That's great. Uh, and, and let's review again. Rather than having to spend like the upwards of $2,000 to have somebody do that, right? Well, more like, well, if you have OWC do it, right. which is a great company and it's a great service. And if oh, you don't sure. want to go through this hassle. And oh, I, I, I would have definitely gone through them myself. I would not have undertaken this. I yeah, this is, have. it was pretty hairy. It was right. kind of like, why, why am I doing this? Right, exactly. Um, but I, I just, I guess I like to mess with stuff. Well, no, and, I, and, and you, have a, you have a tendency to do that. So how much would OWC charge for such a, a great service like this? I'm going to just look them up because I don't want to misquote it. Um, but Good I'm going to just say the OWC, uh, it's called turnkey Mac pro 2.9, 12 cores. And I want them to go to two, 3.46. Yeah. So they would have charged 1050. Wow. Yeah. Over a thousand bucks. Over a thousand bucks. And, and you did it yourself with a lot of, with a lot of praying and a lot of, uh, 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 uh a lot of watching like some 13 year old kid in his uh, garage <laughs> do this upgrade himself in about two seconds. How much did it cost you to do this? It cost me about half that. Good. It cost me about half that. And without the hassle of sending it in and, and right. And, the, and just the time down and all this, kind which of is, stuff. which it was a huge deal because I use my computer so much. Right. Right. You know, how, um, how long would it, they have needed it? I'm going to guess at least a week, at least a week for a turnaround of something like this. Yeah, and if you want faster shipping, it would have cost that much more. Okay. You know, like if I wanted to do overnight shipping, sure. That would have been $80 sure. uh additional. So, yeah. So, um and I think they take they take one to two business days. So, it's it's going to be at least a week even with the overnight shipping, right. which is no, probably what no I No way have could you've done that. No way. Yeah, it would have been a week without my Mac Pro. I would have had to prepare some other system. Right. You know. Right. So, yeah. Right. So I'm happy, and then I did some other upgrades too, which I can talk about later. But that was the main one. That you know, that's awesome, and and you know what that does go to show is that even though we're on the vintage slash obsolete products list now, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that the machine is is done for or anything like that. We you know we can keep making it work. We can keep uh, you know as long as you keep the the machine in good condition and you don't you know treat it poorly or whatever it is, it it, it can it can last for a long time. It can, and and the thing too is like so the, the there was a 2013 macro, which is the cylinder version, the garbage the tra- can one, the so-called trash can. Yeah. Yes. Um, my Mac Pro is actually pretty much the same speed as their fastest version of that computer. Excellent. The current and, and, Mac- and and you would have had to pay like thousands of dollars for that machine, right? I think I think I would have had to pay like six thousand to eight thousand for that version. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more, maybe ten, yeah, and then plus all the extra peripherals I would need sure. to get it up to speed. So, I'm I'm pretty happy that I have this amazing Mac Pro system that's still relevant even even yeah. now. Terrific, you know that's great. That yeah. no that 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 is awesome. That is great yeah. stuff. Good, yeah. good. Well, uh, 
Well, there, there's my, uh, there's our little rant and raves about uh, being on a vintage and obsolete list. Now uh, yeah. we can make it work for us. Then we can uh, make it work. That shows you kids dream big, dream big, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Huh? Uh, okay, Keith. Uh, uh, that's going to conclude our uh, our intro uh, series. Let's uh, roll on. Well, not roll on, but let's take another break first, and then we will roll on and continue with some of our other uh, segments that we have here. And uh, we will come back and uh, and have a lot of more interesting information to share with you. Um, and we will come back. What do you say, Keith? Okay. That'll be awesome. Fantastic. Rod. Okay, great. Uh, it's Keith Moreau and Rod Louie with you, and we'll be back with more Tech Move. We'll be right back. It is a, uh, you know, Keith, it's time, I think, for a segment that we haven't done in a few episodes, mm-hmm. and I don't really know why. Well, I guess I do know why. It's so that those who suffered from the last one have revived themselves or seek some sort of medical attention, but that is the put-me-in-a-coma segment. It Ooh. is time Ooh. for one of those little babies here on Tech Move, And we have a very, well, quote-unquote, interesting subject, <laughs> uh, as all the coma segments are, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, our big question that we want to tackle today is what makes a lens good? Keith, we're going to kind of... <laughs> delve into your mind a little bit and what makes a lens good. I'll mm-hmm. share with you my thoughts on that mm-hmm. of what makes a lens good. Mm-hmm. And uh, primarily for me, it's got to be pretty darn, darn cheap. And if you can get it out of the back of a van somewhere, uh, that's what makes it good for me. Uh, I know you have a little bit higher standard than I. So uh, why don't we delve into that right now? Okay. Well, uh you know I think that uh lenses can be fairly inexpensive uh or they can be extremely expensive they can cost more than your cameras I, I I and me looking into some of those things right now as we speak I am noticing that very very disheartenedly <laughs> Yeah the good thing is that lenses don't necessarily become as obsolete as cameras do they they have right. kind of a shelf life that's many many times longer than cameras, right? So that part's good. So yeah, once you, it's it. I mean, that's why you always see a lot of people, you included, where like you have dozens and dozens of lenses because when you find one that works, that's the one you kind of want to stick with. It's um, I I think it's something to to that that can continue to work even though the camera may not, right. Exactly. And then um, the lenses can be adapted to new cameras. They can, especially now with the E-mount things that we're all moving to, or some of us are, you can adapt Canon lenses to the to the E-mounts and they still have a, a life to them. Um, so yeah, so I don't, I rarely sell lenses. In fact, I'm not even sure if I've ever sold a lens. Maybe that's why I have so many. 
<laughs> now, now, now even even when you get rid of your uh, older cameras and and sell them off, you don't mm-hmm. usually throw in a kit lens with it or something like that that maybe it came with or something like that. Um, not really. May, maybe once or twice, but very very rarely. Yeah. I usually just keep the kit lens because it you never know if you you might need it on an extra C cam or. Cam or crash cam or some, some right. kind of cam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you're testing out that new drone, you want to attach it on that one so you don't care. Yes, yes. Or maybe uh, sometimes I'll lend cameras to friends. You know, I'll, I'll just say, hey, you want, you want to borrow this for, you know, some trip you're doing and give them an old camera that I, I could sell for five bucks, but I've kept and give right. them a lens. And, right. you know, so I guess they have some use. I mean, they're actually more useful for that than just selling it because. You just I can't get much money out of them. Sure, but um, but the good lenses you can, and in fact, okay. So I actually have I I, I lied. I have sold a few lenses that I kind of considered they were they were not obsolete at all. They're still super high quality lenses, but they just I, I kind of realized that I they were kind of um, not as useful to me as they could be. Mm-hmm. And here's an example: I got one of the um, Canon seventy to two hundred two point eights. Okay. Um, IS, and that's the original version. So Canon came out with this lens maybe 15 years ago or something. It was it was a legendary lens. Um, very nice image, super nice image, um, but super big and heavy. The thing was like an all metal tank. <laughs> I mean, if really you could, I mean, if you wanted to go down a dark alley, you could defend yourself with this thing. It was just you know weighed about five pounds. It was all metal probably couldn't destroy it if you wanted to but and but because of that it was it was just not i didn't use it that much i'd use it in maybe stationary situations um and i just realized well i have this two two thousand ish dollar lens that i'm not using very much so why don't i just sell it right yeah so when i was selling my uh canon uh 5d mark three stuff i sold that lens along with it and got a really good deal, you know. I, I mean, I I gave them a good deal. I got a good deal. I probably I I actually bought it used, okay. um, although it was in great shape. And I got a two times telephoto converter with it. That's something you put at the back end of the lens, and it okay. just doubles the focal length. So a seventy to two hundred becomes a one forty to four hundred. I ca- actually kept that converter though, because oh, wow. I could use I could use that for other stuff. And, it, uh, and, and I, that works pretty well. It works okay. Okay. It, there's definitely some degradation of the image, but um, sure. it, when you need it, you need it, especially on full frame cameras, because you mm-hmm. just you just have to. You, they just don't. They're very wide rather than telephoto because right. of the large sensor, so you just need that extra reach sometimes. Anyway, I kept that so I could use it on other lenses, but uh, but I sold it for I sold the the used lens for pretty much what I bought it for, minus the um, the adapter. So I think I made a little money on it even. So that was a that was a great investment. Um, but I did miss it a little bit, so I replaced it with a 70-200 f4 IS, mm. a, a new model. And that one is a beautiful lens. I would say optically similar to the 2.8, but just not as fast. So um, but that's okay. You know, with so super long lenses like that, um, you don't necessarily need even more bokeh and more out-of-focusness. <laughs> you're, you're, it's already really hard to nail nail the focus anyway. Right. So... Um, and I love that lens because it's a lot smaller and more portable, and I use it all the time. I use that for um, like the close-up angle when I'm doing interviews, and it's just such a beautiful-looking lens. Like it looks like a prime 
lens, except it's 70 to 200, so you get a lot more versatility. Right. And um, so I guess and I guess that's what the conversation is today, the coma conversation. It's I guess it's kind of coma-ish, although I'm hoping that it will be somewhat accessible, but we can get into the coma stuff too. Sure. Because that's kind of fun. So, well, what makes a lens good? And all being all things being equal, it's basically how much you pay for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, uh, you know, it, and and that's what I used to think about that, right? I, that's what I used to think about that. But you know what? In reality, you know, uh, in in prior episodes, we've talked about companies like Tamron. Like oh yeah, Sigma. Like, uh, uh, who, who's the other one? The um, Rokinon. Rokinon, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, v- uh, uh, much more affordable and and beautiful pieces of glass that are now coming out of those uh, those production areas. Yeah, actually, I would say that you can save some save some serious dough by not buying a uh, Canon. Um, genuine Canon brand lens. Mm-hmm. I think, and I think you'll maybe sacrifice just a little bit of the, of the performance. I would say, I would say a Tamron isn't necessarily as good or better than a Canon. Right. I would say that they're Tamra or Sigma. They, the high end ones might be better or worse depending on the lens. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes they'll have a unique kind of, they'll have a unique focal length that maybe Canon doesn't even have. That happens a lot too. So, um, but but I think for me, what I've found is it, with with a few exceptions, um, the more you pay for the glass, like the more the retail price is, usually the better it is. Sure. And and so that that means that the five thousand dollar lens is probably better than the one thousand dollar lens, or the three thousand dollar lens. And doesn't that also come to like the the specifications too? Of course, the faster the lens, the you know, the the more you're going to pay, right? I mean, like the, you know, the kit lens 4.5 to 5.6 versus the 1.8. Obviously, you know, the faster it is, the the more you're going to pay money for. Yes. The faster it is, basically, the bigger it is. There's more glass. There's just more stuff to it. You know, it's kind of like getting a bicycle versus getting uh, an Audi. You know, Mm -hmm. it's more complicated. It's bigger. There's just the components are more expensive, uh, just because there's more of it. Um, also, getting a, a faster lens, a lens that can let more light in, is technically more challenging. So there's more to designing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so for you know, for example, um, you can have a very telephoto lens, like an extremely like you could have a 300 millimeter lens, but if it was a ten dollar lens, it might be an f10. Right. You know? Right. That's that's the large large uh, of an aperture it could get. Right. Um, and but if you wanted to get a this the equivalent long lens and a fast faster lens, it would be huge and really expensive. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So you're right. The faster it is, the more more expensive it is. That's just kind of a given rule. Also, full frame lenses are are also more expensive. Well, actually, no, I, I take that back. But. Um, I think because of maybe the full frame has been around longer so that the scale, the economy of scale hasn't quite reached, you know, micro four thirds and, and smaller lenses. But, but usually a full frame glass will be more expensive than APS-C glass. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was kind of the whole, 
So when Canon first came out with their kind of EF mount series um, of, of cameras, the EOS series, um, they also came out with an APS-C series too for the people that just couldn't afford the full frame uh, lenses mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so so the, the, if you're covering a smaller sensor area, the glass can be smaller and everything gets a little bit cheaper. Kind of the same principle as a fast lens versus a less fast lens. Mm-hmm. So smaller the lens, the cheaper it is. That doesn't always hold true necessarily for... You know, like the Micro Four Thirds I found. I think it's because there's not that many manufacturers of Micro Four Thirds glass. It's kind right. of it's more specialized. Yeah. So, um, but all things being equal, they should be a little bit cheaper because there's just less, less, less polishing, less big pieces of glass to be perfect to make to make into this um, into the lens elements. So, yeah. So what I found with me is, for the most part, the the more expensive lenses are are better. Um, there are some, maybe some exceptions, or maybe some things where, just because you pay twice as much of it doesn't mean it's, it's twice as good a lens. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, one big example is as the Rokinons. So the Rokinons is kind of a unique brand that has really taken off with cinematographers and and other people that just want to have manual glass. They they don't have all the electronics in there that which can add a lot to the price. There's just no electronics, motors, and other things that. It can add to the complexity of a lens. They just they're just strictly manual focus lens lenses. They don't have um, they have kind of plasticky bodies, so that probably reduces the price as well. Um, so they've really focused on the on the elements and the glass and and those um, you know if, especially since most of them are I think all of them are prime lenses. And by by prime I mean it's a lens that only has one focal length, like mm. it's a twenty four millimeter or it's a fifty millimeter. It's not 24 to 70. Right. No uh, zoom involved. It's just a fixed yeah. focal length. Yeah. And I think that can, and that also reduces the price, but they also just, um, have figured out how to make lenses cheap and maybe their profit margins aren't that high. <laughs> so yeah. they just have gone for it and decided to produce super inexpensive lenses for, for the performance. So th- those are, then maybe that's an exception. You know, you could probably get, you probably pay about half of a for a Rokinon than you might pay for a Tamron or a Canon, or maybe even maybe even less than half for yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and I so that's why I have all these Rokinons because they're awesome. Like yesterday, I did this shoot for this motorcycle company called Ducati. What did I bring? I brought my Rokinon eighty-five millimeter. Really, um, a portrait lens you took? Yeah, it was it was for portraits. Mm-hmm. It was for it was for like, I mean. It's a portrait lens, but basically, when you're taking people, if you want them to look good, you want you want to get kind of a longer lens for the most part. Mm-hmm. It's more flattering. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I brought my fifty my fifty millimeter Rokinon as a backup, and then I and I attached him to my A7 uh, R2 in full frame mode, and my Metabones um, latest model adapter. I mean, I could have used anything because it's a manual lens. Mm-hmm. Didn't need the electronics, but I got it because I think that's the highest quality with the flocking and everything. It's the mm-hmm. less, it's the least amount of light leaks of the ad- adapters I have. Right. So that'll so the image is more contrasty and less washed out and just so that's why I use that adapter. And I did just did the whole shoot with that you know cheapo manual lens that I got like ten years ago for mm-hmm. whatever three hundred dollars. <laughs> right. Right. 
So and it worked uh, out, and it looked pretty good, and it's it's always looked amazing. Mm-hmm. I've, it's always looked now now. Granted, I don't. I've never had a eighty-five millimeter cannon. It the eighty-five millimeter cannon is also legendary. Um, there's some other eighty-fives and other portrait lenses um, that are also legendary. I haven't bought those because right. I haven't seen the need to. I've always been really satisfied with the Rokinon. I think now I'll start getting into what makes a lens good or not. Um, sometimes there will be um, fall off of the image quality towards the edges of the lens. Mm-hmm. And this is this just happens. So it's really usually the center of the lens is really really clear and really every all the good stuff ab- about the lens is in that middle part. <laughs> yeah, um, sharpness, uh, light um, sensitivity, no little distortion, little vignetting, and and little uh, chromatic aberration. And I'll explain those things in a minute. So usually the center of the lens is the best. That's why sometimes it's better to to use a uh, full frame lens and put it on a crop sensor camera. Because mm-hmm. you're you're cropping down and you're just only the sensor's only seeing that that center portion of the lens, which is the best part of the lens. It's like the edges where it kind of things start getting kind of iffy right. are not even part of the picture. <laughs> right, right. So um, that's also another recommendation if you want to maybe uh, get more consistency on an average lens. Mm-hmm. Put a put an average full frame lens onto a a crop sensor camera to a certain degree. Right. Um, if you start putting a full frame lens onto like a micro four thirds, then you might, it might be too much. You might be starting to magnify some of the uh, imperfections in the the lens, Mm -hmm. even though it's the best part of the lens, it's not meant to be magnified to that level at the center point. Right. It's just not high enough quality, but it could be, it depends on the lens. So, um, yeah. So that cheapo $300 lens was good enough for a professional shoot and company and they're going to be okay with it. You know? Great. Yeah, so, um, yeah, and I wanted to keep it simple. I didn't want to have this whole, you know. So you didn't use any zooms at all? No, I didn't. I didn't need to in this situation, just because it was a kind of controlled environment. I could move the camera around if I needed to, mm-hmm. and and all things being equal, um, if I'm in a situation where I can control and and it's kind of stationary, I will try not to use a zoom. Mm. Um, you don't always know what you're getting into, and therefore it's it might be good to bring a couple zooms, like a wide zoom and then a more telephoto zoom, like zoom, like, uh, you know, like one of the, a couple of the zooms that I'm using nowadays are, uh, 18 to 35, the, the, uh, APS-C 18 to 35. Mm-hmm. That's for video mostly. Um, that's the Sigma. It's kind of the legendary Sigma art lens. And I'm using that a lot for, for wider shots. Yeah. That uh, Sigma lens is, is, is really, extremely popular right now it really is i wish they had is in it that would make it perfect mm-hmm. and i'd pay more for is because that's a really great run and gun lens but you can only use it on cameras that have built-in is um like the sony's so i wouldn't use it necessarily if i was carrying around my fs5 mm, okay. because my fs5 doesn't have a sensor stabilized isn't a sensor stabilized camera so um but the new a7 series twos are sensor stabilized so that's that's so I'd use that if I was running and gunning with one of those cameras, but not my FS5. Mm-hmm. Um, another lens that I used to use a lot, but I'm using it less, is the uh, Tamron 24-70 to full frame. Great lens, beautiful lens, kind of big, mm-hmm. kind of big and heavy, mm-hmm. kind of sticks out kind of far when you start adding the uh, EF to E-mount adapter. Oh, okay. But that's another zoom then a lens that I'll, that I'll also use. 
um, on the telephone lens for telephoto end for zooms, I will use as I said the 74, 7 to 70 to 200 f4 um, Canon. So, so I'm going to talk about what out of all the lenses that I have, what I think I've what I perceive as the best image quality. Okay. Um, so I have a Canon EF 24 millimeter f 1.4 L uh, Mark II. An F one four, you said. Yeah, it's an F one point four L Mark II, mm-hmm. so it's their second series. And that lens, I got it not that long ago, maybe less than a year ago. Um, I got it used actually, mm-hmm. um, or refurbished or something. It was definitely used uh, because I think new. It's it's like fifteen hundred. It's really up there. Mm-hmm. Let me see what it goes for. Yeah, that one goes for like almost. Sixteen hundred dollars new. Wow. Yeah, and I think mm-hmm. I got it used for a pretty good deal, like eight or nine hundred dollars. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, and so this one has everything. Uh, it doesn't actually have uh, image stabilization, so it's really not really meant necessary for running gun. But it's kind of wide, so you could potentially use it for running gun. Mm-hmm. But because uh, because shakes and stuff aren't quite as apparent. Um, but I just got it because it had a great reputation, and if I I'm shooting 4K video and want to crop in, I'm going to be assured that the image is pretty darn good. Right. Um, and it's going to be sharp enough to, to be able to crop. Sometimes you just can't do that. You could start, you could put it onto a 4K camera, but if your lens isn't clear enough, sharp enough, mm-hmm. when you start cropping in, you'll notice that the image is degrading, um, getting fuzzier, just things aren't quite as sharp. All the imperfections start coming out, especially when you start cropping and start zooming in and, and, and magnifying the image. It might look okay, it's kind of like when you look at something on your iPhone, it just looks awesome. Right. But if you look at it on a gigantic monitor, it won't look so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, because uh, you, you start seeing all the imperfections. Sure. Yeah. So, that 24 that I have is an absolute amazing, beautiful lens. Um, it's, it's, be- it's, it's an amazing lens because of the specs. The specs are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think... There have been, I think there was a um, Sigma 24 millimeter that got maybe similar or even better uh, spec reviews. Um, I think maybe there were a couple specs that weren't quite as good. It's a lot cheaper. I think it's like $600 cheaper or something. So it's almost half the price. But um, this one I think is one of the top 24 millimeters you can get. You can get the F.2L as well, Mm -hmm. but then you're going to spend even more, you know, like another $1,000. Right. So, <laughs> so you can start spending a lot of money for these lenses. But the reason I like it is because it's got all the technical specs. Like it's it's got really good sharpness. It's got really good um, transmission, which is basically the f stop of the lens. Mm-hmm. You know, it goes up to f four. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's called an f four, but it actually there's this concept called t stops. Have you heard of that? I have heard of it, but I yeah. don't know the intricacies of it. It's actually very, very straightforward. Mm-hmm. It's basically the actual real-world uh, light transmission of the lens. Oh. So mm-hmm. if it was 100% light transmission from the, the lens through to the, to the sensor, mm-hmm. and it was an F4, it would be an F1.4 T-stop as well. Okay. But because the lens itself has a certain amount of filtration of the light, mm-hmm. it, it won't let every single photon through. It'll some will be missed. Mm-hmm. The T-stop is the actual real F-stop. 
Uh, oh, okay. I mean, the light transmission. The f-stop also has to do with other things like the focusing and and bokeh and stuff. Mm-hmm. So this would be the amount of light that's actually hitting the sensor, and that's actually in this case the lens. It's a 1.6, so that's still actually pretty good. It's pretty darn close to 1.4. Mm-hmm. So the higher that number is, the the less light would be hitting your sensor. So like if it was a two t-stop, uh, it would be the equivalent of theoretically a, a perfect f2.0. So this is theoretic, pretty close to a a perfect f. 1.4 in transmission. So that's the amount of light that's actually hitting the lens. And you'll notice in cinema lenses that they rate them not only in f-stop, because the f-stop will allow people to gauge the amount of bokeh and depth of field that's available, you know, like how they can focus. But they'll also rate it according to t-stop, which is how much light is actually hitting that sensor. Because when you're in a situation where you need that light reading to be perfect, you need to know what the the full capability of that lens is. So that's t- called T-stop. Um, there's another thing called distortion, and usually that's basically how, um, like if you looked at a straight line from edge to edge, mm-hmm. or from diagonal corner to diagonal corner, how curved would that line be throughout its range of the lens? So it has zero distortion, it'll be totally flat. Mm-hmm. Like, there'll be no curvature to that line. But, you know, if it was a really distorted lens, kind of like a fish-on lens, you'd see a lot of curvature <laughs> right. in that line. Right. Yeah, and sometimes you want that curvature, maybe you want that effect, um, but other most of the time you don't want that. Um, you want to have as least little distortion as possible. You know, like architectural photographers will go for as little distortion as possible because they want all the lines to be nice totally and straight. nice yeah. and straight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even with wide lenses, because they have to use wide lenses to get inside of uh, places to shoot interiors and things like that. Mm-hmm. So... So that distortion is a another parameter. Um, vignetting, I'm sure we've all heard of the vignetting yep. uh, comment. This has to do with um, what I mentioned before, which is towards the edges of the, the, circle, the lens circle, things start getting iffy. And it's definitely one of the things that gets iffy. It's very, very common for things to get iffy. Um, it will get darker towards the edges, to the outside edges of the of the image. So you don't necessarily want to have that there unless you intend to have it. Cause sometimes vignetting is like a nice effect, but you don't necessarily want to have the edges dark. <laughs> you, unless, you, you know, I have you a question to. about all that stuff. You know how yeah. you have like these dark edges. Sometimes you have the, you know, the, um, the vignetting is, effect, the vignetting and stuff uh-huh. like that. Uh-huh. Is, is that why now uh, a, a lot of us editors are now uh, cropping a lot of our footage. Oh, to eliminate the vignetting? Yes. Uh, hmm. I guess if the vignetting was really, really bad, then you might have to crop it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also do other things in the in the grade uh, to counteract the vignetting. Mm-hmm. You can actually create a circle that 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 it makes the exposure go brighter towards the edge, mm-hmm. and then it'll counteract whatever vignetting you might have seen in that original footage so and and that can be successful it can be successful but what happens is you're raising the exposure so any kind of noise that's in that edge Mm -hmm. uh, any kind of noise that's in the image is magnified and so you might see that the edges get a little bit noisier it may not be that apparent though because your your eyes are kind of focused on the subject matter Mm -hmm. your eyes aren't really looking at the edges and 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 seeing oh that edge looks a little more distorted than the or, or more noisy Right. The edge looks more noisy than the middle. So um your, your brain probably isn't noticing that as as 
uh, readily, especially mm-hmm. the lay people that are that are uh, watching this stuff. Mm-hmm. For right. you know, for us anal retentive people that for are looking you at every pixel, pixel peepers. <laughs> that uh, that great term that I love hearing so much. <laughs> and sometimes you'll yeah, sometimes you'll you know occasionally I will make a mistake and have something on the edge of my frame. Mm-hmm. You know, like <laughs> just. I didn't see it when I was filming right. it, but there'll be something there. <laughs> the, those those dumb little e, uh, EVFs are just not that wide. Yes. Uh, so sometimes I'll have a little edge of my ring light covering up <laughs> the corner. Oh, you know what I have? I, I usually have my uh, my um, uh, that lens hood thing uh-huh. when I'm too wide. Sometimes the, the edges show out. Oh, yeah. You, yeah, you know what I mean. That oh, yeah, sun that hap- shield thing. Oh, that happens all the time. I know. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah, and, and I and I never notice it while sh- while shooting. Never notice it. It's always afterwards. What it's, the heck is that? Yeah, it's really, really. Sometimes you just you just don't see it. Right. But um, yeah. So and then okay. So that's vignetting, and and you don't want a lot of that because you just you want to be able to have a nice image that doesn't have that naturally. But luckily, it's something that your eye also kind of forgives on the edges. Yeah. So it's not as important as, as some of the other qualities. And then another major measurement, uh, measurement, uh, quality is chromatic aberration. Ooh, I like that. (laughs) Chromatic aberration. Nice. Chromatic aberration. And, and that actually just has to do with, um, the fact that light, when it goes through a lens, and this is any lens, it's even your eyeball uh, lens, uh, <laughs> will will start to kind of uh, make it like a prism effect. Um, you know, when you put light through a prism and you see the color starting to separate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like uh, in 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 science, when you put when you shine a light uh, flashlight through the prism, yep. like a triangular piece of glass, and then yep. it would spread on the whatever like wall or whatever, and it would spread Correct. out into like a rainbow rainbow well that's because um what's happening is that the the, there's actually different wavelengths of light and different wavelengths of light actually travel through the glass uh slightly different paths (laughs) right especially curved glass especially like a lens in the case of a prism it's just separating the the wavelengths of light light Mm -hmm. um in the case and and so you're at the edges a glass itself is kind of like a whole series of little prisms because one side of the glass is at a different angle than the other side. So when you're looking through a, like a pane of glass, like a win, windshield or a window, if, it, if, the, if the window glass is just totally parallel, both sides of it, you hopefully won't see too much of this chromatic aberration. It's just a clear sheet of glass. Um, no separation of colors. But the minute that one side of the glass is at a different angle than, than the other side, right. then you start getting the separation of colors. And once when that separation of colors hits the sensor, then you start seeing instead of seeing one nice sharp dot of whatever it is color, you will see whatever it is separated into kind of a smearing across instead of instead of being concentrated in one point, those three colors are actually spread and and so a, a lens that isn't really um, done. It doesn't have anything done to it. We'll have a lot of chromatic aberration. Mm, okay. Just a very, very simple lens. A very simple, cheap lens will have a lot of chromatic aberration. So, 
um, you know, for example, a, a kind of inexpensive telescope or, or binocular, binoculars, mm-hmm. you know, like the kind you'd, you'd get that aren't that expensive. Right. You look at those and you'll see, when you look in the distance, you'll see that the edges of, of things are kind of like have colors associated with it. Sure. Not, the edges of, of things aren't sharp. Sure. Well, that's what's going on. That's chromatic aberration happening. Oh, okay. So it's, yeah. ju- so it's just e- essentially adding additional things that really distort the, 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 the real picture of things. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not the reality that your eyes are seeing. It's, it's what it's doing. It's taking those colors that are making up that thing you're looking at and actually spreading it out um, so that it's kind of the colors are actually unfocused. The colors aren't all focused in one point; they're actually spread spread out, and and that makes things like you'll see one color, uh, like say you have a line that's you know, like a like a black line, just just for the sake of or a white line. Let's say let's say you're looking kind of in the in the darkness, and you're looking like at a star or something like that, and if you use a terrible lens instead of that star having a nice nice edge to it. Like it's it stops at the white and starts uh, at the black very 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 sharply or the moon let's say the moon the moon's more easier because it's it's a little larger well the edge if you look through a lousy lens the edge of that moon where it goes from bright white to blackness will will instead be kind of a, a smeary set of colors and will not look like the edge of something uh, like the moon. But if you look through a really good lens, um, that edge will be very, very, very sharp and won't be smeary with different colors in it. So that's kind of what a good lens does. And there's there's all these different things that a good lens can um, can help with. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's things that they put inside the lens to counteract this stuff. So when people were inventing lenses and they noticed how oh, well, this this lens doesn't look very good, you know, back whenever. You know the Stone Age, whenever they were starting to make lenses. I'm not sure when this started. Should probably we should probably have another coma segment about the history of lenses, but <laughs> <laughs> they, they can only take so much at one time. So I agree with that. <laughs> but yeah. when whoever was inventing these lenses, you know, maybe it was Galileo or whoever, um, they noticed, hey, this is kind of smeary. These images are kind of distorted. They don't look that sharp. So what what can we do optically to improve this stuff? And so they actually add other elements that specifically aren't meant to do anything but to correct the chromatic aberration to counteract it so that instead of the lines the different colors uh separating upon hitting the sensor they actually will stay more parallel and they won't separate as much so they add these extra little elements to the uh, to the lenses just to counteract that mm-hmm. and there's a whole bunch of other things that um m- manufacturers will do to improve the quality of the lenses like um one of the things they do is you always heard about this coating, this special coating, this fluoride coating, this nano bot coating, and <laughs> you know all these coatings when they they advertise their lenses. You, you may have heard this. Yeah. When marketers do that, they yep. yeah they will they will actually add elements to the surfaces of the lenses. You know, so a lens a good lens may have ten elements in it, ten pieces of glass that have been really precision pre precision ground and polished um, to work together to achieve a really great looking image. Well, not only will they make these pieces of glass really, really precise and perfect, they will also coat, they will add a coating, kind of like painting painting on (laughs) a coating of some kind of substance. Mm. 
and that will counteract or enhance the uh, properties of the glass. So if the glass itself has this property of maybe reflecting, because every, every piece of glass has a little bit of reflection in it. Like mm -hmm. you look at a window and, you know, when, if you go to a restaurant when you're inside, mm -hmm. you really notice how much reflections just a clear piece of glass has. You know, uh, right. it's dark outside and basically you can't see anything. Right. Everything's reflected. So, well, you don't really want that reflection in the lens because you want the light to go through the lens to your sensor. You don't want it to be reflected off. And as much of it as possible, too. Exactly. And that's what that transmission quality is mm -hmm. of, of the lens. So so these coatings, and sometimes they can be like little, little, teeny microscopic pieces of metal, mm -hmm. like molecules of metal, mm -hmm. or some elements, minerals, they're actually embedded onto the surface of the lens in a very controlled way. Mm. There's different processes to do it. Like they turn it into a gas, and then they, they put, the lens, put the glass into this gas chamber and pressurize it and do all kinds of stuff. It's really like alchemy. You know, they're, that's why, and, and so there's these coatings and sometimes they have several layers of these coatings. They have different materials depending on what element of glass it is. Mm -hmm. And and the result of that is that the glass's negative properties are counteracted and it becomes more like a clear piece of glass that all is doing is bending the light. It's not doing anything else bad to the light. So, so that's, um, that's pretty much it. That's you know, good. That's, uh, you, yeah. you know, I have a question. Let, mm -hmm. Let's go back to Boca. Okay, Boca, yes. I, I, I want to ask about, okay, you know, we all say here at Tech Move, we always say, oh, this one has great Boca. Oh, right, that right. one has great Boca. What makes great Boca? Is it more the circular blur? Is it, uh, is it how, you know, is that what makes great? Who, who has been the judge and executioner as far as determining who and what is great Boca? <laughs> you know what I mean? I, yes. I, 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 yes. I, I mean, like, okay, it's a nice circle. Fantastic. Right. right. Or it's kind of an octagon kind of shape. Okay, right. that's kind of neat, too, in, in some ways. Yes. What is great Boca? What is great Boca? Well... It, as you said, it could be a little bit subjective. Yes. But um, I think the measure of bokeh in general is, does the background look smooth and not grainy? And is the background free of these other qualities that made made a lens bad in the first place? Like one of the main things is is the um, chromatic aberration. Mm -hmm. Does the, Do the out-of-focus areas exhibit a lot of chromatic aberration? Because if they do... It's gonna look weird. Okay. Um, do the background areas exhibit other artifacts that are not pleasing? Um, those can be a little bit subjective, but for me, it's kind of a smoothness that I see, mm -hmm. um, a velvetiness, and that can actually transfer. That also applies to the actual sharp image as well. Mm -hmm. um, usually, the better lenses, the sharp part looks really good. The bokeh is gonna look really good too. Okay. Not all the time. Right. Um, sometimes um, people gauge the bokeh on how perfect the little circles are of light that are out of focus. So if you have a point source of light, like if you're aiming, like say you're doing a wedding or something at night, mm -hmm. and you have a shot of uh, the couple or whatever, and then the background, it's a fairly close shot maybe, and the background is uh, like like hung up lights. Mm -hmm. Right. St a string of lights. Yep. Um if you look at those lights, uh, the the and they're out of focus, but um, different um, different apertures and and different qualities of how the lens is constructed will result in more or less pleasing 
uh, out of focus light sources, point, uh, point sources. So mm -hmm. sometimes the lights might be oval. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes the lights might, as you say, have that octagon or hexagon mm -hmm. or whatever shape to them. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they'll have an irregular shape. And I guess for me, the ultimate bokeh is a light that is perfectly round. And there's also this quality called onion skinning mm -hmm. that you'll see in out of focus things. And, and you'll, and you may notice those less onion skinning. So less concentric circles inside that ball of out of focus light in the background. Um, a bad lens will have lots of onion skinning. Okay. It'll, it'll show lots of little edges to that out of focus light. Um, a a better bokeh lens will have a very smooth um, shape. the The shape of that out of focus light will be very smooth and won't have a lot of graduations in it. and And also, the shape of it will be a perfect circle, not um, not a hexagon, not a uh, you know sharp something with sharp edges, and not um, irregular shaped, and not necessarily oval if it's possible. That that non-oval bokeh is actually kind of hard to ch achieve depending on the the lens. For example, my really beautiful eighty-five that I like, the Rokinon eighty-five. Right. Um, it's it's um, out of focus bokeh is actually a little bit oblong on the edges. Mm -hmm. So if you if those lights are on the edge of the frame, they will not be perfect circles. They will look oblong. But and again, that, it's a subjective thing, right? It's not that it's a terrible thing. It's just yeah. What, what, whatever you think of it. Whatever I think, yeah. And and honestly, nobody's going to notice it. Right, yeah. right. Un unless they're just an anal pixel people. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. They, they, may, they may notice the onion skinning. Yeah. Because it kind of stands out, and it's kind of a sharpness to the... It adds sharpness to the bokeh, which isn't as desirable. You want that to be out of focus and not so sharp. That's the reason for it. Um, you know, it's kind of like superimposing this extra image on top of your image instead of be, being in the background. Um, so most people won't necessarily like the hexagon things, although I've seen some pretty high-end video productions or film productions that have hexagonal bokeh. And so they're, they're using super high-end lenses, but they're still, their lenses have this quality to them. By the way, the quality of that is usually produced by the shape of the aperture um, blades and how many there are of them. Right. That's what, that's what creates that shape. So the more blades you have and the more curved they are, um, the more circular and even that, that bokeh uh, circle is. Sure. So, um, so for example, on the, on the newest Zine Rokinon lenses, mm -hmm. their bokeh is, is way better than the bokeh on the cheap Rokinon lenses that I have. Um, because their, um, their, their aperture blades are much f more finely made. There's more of them and they're more curved. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sure. So... Yeah. It so also depends on how much engineering is put into these things and so on and so forth. Yeah, right? so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Combination of the uh, aperture blades plus the lens itself. I guess it's kind of like anything. The more effort you put into something, the more it's going to cost you. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. anyway, so that's, that's kind of the um, explanation. I think also just like continuing with the explanation of what makes a lens good, um, it also is what you like. Yeah. You know, what pleases you. Yeah. You can have two lenses that cost exactly the same, or maybe one that's even more expensive than the other one. You prefer the the less expensive one. Yeah. Just because of per personal preference. 
for me, my personal preference is a silkiness and yet not being out of focus. Mm -hmm. So the lens has a quality to it that imparts, that is sharp. Like you can see all the details, but it's not um, edgy. Mm-hmm. It's not giving. It's not giving you a feeling of oh, this is kind of crispy. This is kind of like too much. Sure. Um, and and for me, the Canon, the two Canon lenses that I have impart that. But particularly the Canon EF twenty four millimeter, one point four L two. That one is. I've looked at some of those images in four K, and that just blows me away. It's I am in it's love really with good. It. It's really yeah. good. Yeah, I'm in love with that lens. I've shot a couple things with that. You know, it's a wider lens, so they're m- more like wide shots. Mm-hmm. But um, I, if every lens I had looked like that, I would be very, very happy. Mm. So I'm probably going to just strive for those and start replacing some of the other lenses I have with lenses that 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 are like that. Right. And and so that's you know and that that's kind of the difference between a expensive lens, you know, it's like a 1600 lens for sure. just a 24 prime. Sure. And you could spend more even for that same thing and, and a cheaper lens. And, but, but also the design of the lens and what the company wants to impart in the quality of their lens. Yeah. yeah. So it's sometimes it's a little subtle thing that's kind of hard to nail down. Right. But, uh, it, mostly it's, how do you like the look? <laughs> sure. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Like anything. Like yeah. Anything. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much much well, that's it. hopefully great. yeah, hopefully the people you know injected themselves with some adrenaline. Well, you know what I have to admit, I, I that that wasn't quite as coma-ish <laughs> as uh we we usually and you know uh, I, I I think because I have a personal stake in this as well because of uh some of the things I'm looking at. So uh uh you know for uh unashamedly unabashedly I I, I enjoyed it. So okay. thank you very much, Keith. Okay, you're welcome. Uh, that is our Put Me in a Coma segment. Uh, thanks to Keith for doing that. And uh, we are going to take another break right here. And we're going to reset and uh, come back with a lot, a lot, a lot more right here on Tech. We're back with Rod and Keith here on Tech Move, and we thank you so much for joining us and subscribing to us. We want to continue on with uh, more new stuff because uh, one of the reasons is before it turns into old stuff. So we want to start talking about this stuff before it becomes completely obsolete. And uh, so, Keith, uh, let's share with us some of these... uh, new things that you've got i i i'm i'm looking at our show notes here mm-hmm. and um uh the westcott flex which we've talked about in uh, previous yeah. episodes yeah that's irrelevant now it no. is <laughs> um, it kind of is irrelevant in a way because i'm not sure people can still get good deals on the flex but I just want to brag about the good deals i got and that's really the most important thing is that we yeah. show our prowess <laughs> So the West, I've talked about how much I love the Westcott Flex lights. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, they're just so portable, so bright, and the light quality is really good. And there's a couple other 
similar ones, but not, none that I've found that are as portable and, and bright. But they're also kind of expensive. The other ones? You mean the competitors? No, all of them. Oh, okay. All, all of them are expensive. Okay. Um, there, there is a competitor to Westcott um, at, called Brightcast, and they're always on, like, uh, they're always showing off at different shows. So all these different sites that I go to that have video interviews mm. of of people at these shows, kind of like what we do for NAB and stuff. Yep. Um, the, they have they they're always there being interviewed. But whenever I go to their try to find out about their lights, mm-hmm. I'm talking about Brightcast. I can't ever find out how to buy these lights. <laughs> <laughs> and they and they have a Facebook page which is really lame, which is. Uh, you know, like the last post was a month ago or something, and it's their demo at their show. Mm-hmm. And then maybe some people are, and then they have a few people that are very excited about their light technology saying, how do I get these lights? And they say, coming soon, coming soon. Stay tuned. Send an email here to find out. Uh, and I've even asked them through email before, and I've never gotten a response. So I don't know if this is like a shell company, you know, to launder money. Right. And they don't really actually have these lights. <laughs> I'm I'm on their face uh, Facebook page right now, and uh-huh. it it looks it looks neat. But you know, all the pictures that they're posting is pretty much the the light almost in this wrapping a tin can type of pose. <laughs> oh, there's one that's flat. Oh, okay. They, yeah. no, they got a couple that are flat. The the thing about the Brightcast lights is that they're actually a very inexpensive compared to the Westcott and the other lights. Mm, mm-hmm. So I don't know if, if Westcott's like. Uh, you know, oh, maybe suing them or something like that. Maybe yeah, some sort who knows? Of litigation. They could, they could be because I think I think maybe they're they're patented. But anyway, that's the only other company that's really coming out with this. There was another company called Raglite. Same thing. They had an amazing opening. We're coming out with these great cloth fabric lights, mm. and then now their website's just dead, <laughs> and there's no there's no news from anything. So I don't know. It's maybe it's the Westcott Mafia that's gotten after these folks. But um, anyway. Getting back to the Westcott, uh, so but Westcott had come out with a kind of a different, a new series of lights. So they were, I guess they were closing out their old series of lights. So their their old lights were like half the price of the new lights. Mm, mm-hmm. For the clo- close and and for me, there's no difference for for the smaller lights. There's mm. there's no difference in light quality, size, output. Maybe a little bit of difference in the in the how much Velcro there is on the front or back of the thing, but I can live with that. Um, because I think the newer lights are meant to fit into their um, rigid tubular mounting things, mm. um, frames. But anyway, so I got these Westcott flexes for like $400 and they're normally like $800. So, um, and then they had some, some, um, so they had the daylight ones, which I prefer, but they, uh, then they, then they were out of the, they started running out of the daylight ones. And then they'd still had a couple of the tungsten, uh, temperature ones left. So I got those. So I have a couple of the last Westcott older series of one by ones in tungsten, and that's it. Sorry, folks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it, when Westcott tells you that it's no longer available, you can blame Keith for this. So, uh, Ke- Keith, how how often are you using the Westcotts uh, in shoots right now? I am using them instead of regular lights all the time now. Really? So like, are, yeah. are are you, are you not even bringing regular lights with you anymore? The only regular lights I bring are these uh, wand lights that I got to illuminate some backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I sometimes use these uh, roto lights, um, neos. 
and uh, those are pretty cool too. They're they're small, but they're not they're not like a fabric light. They're just kind of a small, roundish, very nice quality light. But yeah, the thing the reason for the flex is I can stick four of them, or actually I can stick six of them into my camera bag. Mm-hmm. These stupid one by one sheets. Yeah, they're like an eighth of an inch thick. Yeah, and 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 you know of course the power supplies and stuff take another little bag, but. Because those those take up some space, but the actual lights themselves are so thin and light and portable, and I can hang them anywhere. So yesterday, I actually had a string of three of them to make like a one by three, mm-hmm. and I just have them hanging on Velcro because the back of them has some Velcro on it. So I have uh, so, so little, these little two one one inch by two inch pieces of Velcro that I just stick to the back and connect them together, kind of like string them, like right. a like a chain of lights. And it's light enough that it holds up via Velcro, right? It holds up, yeah, each of them is connected by Velcro to the other one, and then at the top I just have this little clip. Oh, um, you hang it by a clip, gotcha. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and are you ha- hanging it off of, what are you hanging it off of? Like? I just hang it off a regular light stand, and then I have okay. these really nice uh, little uh, clips. All I have, they have a little um, 5 eighths inch stud receptacle, mm-hmm. and then a little pre- spring-loaded clip that just clips right on the front. Um, let me let me just show you a picture because I actually ordered some more because I seem to be losing these clips all the mm-hmm. time. But they're so cheap, it's actually fine. Okay. I'm just going to go on Amazon where I get them from. We can also do a plug for them too. Right. And uh, we also want to remind all of you out there that you can support TechMove by going to Amazon.com slash TechMovePodcast. Is it, Keith? That is true. Yeah. Well, and actually, it's... No, it's, it just uh, tech move? it's the opposite. It's... It's techmove.com. It's techmovepodcast.com. Tech <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't know where we are. It's com slash Amazon. That's how that's people it. can that's help support our site. Yeah. So I'm just going to message you the, the link to okay. this um, this uh, cute little clip that I get. It's only $7. And uh, tell me when you see that yep. little clip there. Oh yeah, I've seen this. You shown this to me before. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, so I, yeah. I, I just I could only find a couple out of like ten that I've ordered. So I just ordered a few more <laughs> from Amazon. I don't know where they go. I think people steal them. <laughs> yeah, but, these are um, great clips. They're they're yeah. nice. They're so teeny and they work perfectly for the flex or even um, a reflector or anything. Or uh, yeah, they'll work great for the flex lights mm-hmm. and great for a reflector. Not so great for um, like a diffuser. Because oh, they kind of okay. have to be in the middle of the frame, but they could w- work okay if you had two different stands on a diffuser, mm-hmm. like w- one stand on each side of the diffuser, which I've been doing as well. So anyway, so that's. But I'm loving the flex lights. I did a one by three um, for the for the key light, mm-hmm. um, and then I did a I did I just hung up one of these Westcots behind the people to the side for the backlight. I gave them a nice backlighting uh, rim effect. Yeah. Um, was plenty bright enough, plenty broad enough, great quality of light. Didn't even diffuse that one. Had a had a big diffuser in front of the one by three. Just just hung a big diffuser in front of it. Nothing, no softbox or nothing. Mm. And the thing that's cool about all this, it's a lot more portable and it's a lot quicker to set up than a softbox. Sure, softboxes are are a pain. So you know, because you have to struggle with the the tension on the little rods and stuff like that. There's some that are faster, but I've just. These you it. just unroll them, plug them in, and there you go, right? Adjust, yeah. the, adjust the intensity of it, and you're done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like that. I like yeah. that. That's very, very good. Yeah, anyway, so that's... I would still encourage people, if there's an, another alternative to the Flex, you know, like the Laden or the or the 
the bright cast I would encourage these types of lights I think they're very I think they're like the new thing I think people are going to start switching over to these obviously if you can you know pack them like you said what how many of them you packed in one bag six I have I have four and could pack six right into so. into in, just into the into the um, laptop slot of nice. my of my camera bag yeah that's great yeah that that's awesome that's yeah. awesome. Uh, so yeah, so for those of you looking for uh, those deals, forget it. Keith is already uh, monopolized uh, everything, so you can't get the deal anymore. Right, sorry. everyone will pay full price. So yeah, full, um, twice as much. Good, good luck to. Yeah, the, sorry about that. The, the listening public appreciate yeah. that. Uh, Keith, yeah. let's move on to something called what is this? Book light? What is that? Okay, so there's this thing that I got because I was actually um, trying to imitate a book light um it, but in a cheaper more portable way okay so one of the big things that that westcott has come out with is a something a book light kit and it, it just make allows you to use westcott stuff to create what's called a book light and a book light is is simply a kind of really 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 diffused uh light source okay so normally you know like a softbox mm -hmm. is it just takes the light and and diffuses it and names it at somebody, and so you have a pretty big light source. So the light's really nice looking, and the bigger the softbox is, the 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 better, theoretically, the better the light is because the shadows are just softer and softer. The bigger the light source is, the if you had a light source as big as a you know ten by ten window, it would be look really really amazing because there would be shadows on the people, but all the shadows would be really really soft and diffused right. on their faces or body. So. Um, and, but the thing is, is that's that's a huge light source and it's very very diffused. When you aim even a, a softbox, if you have a small light source inside the softbox, mm -hmm. the middle of that softbox is always going to be a little bit brighter than the edges. And if the diffusion material in there is thin, is is thin, which it usually has to be, mm -hmm. um, it, you may even show the a little bit of the elements of the light. So mm -hmm. it's just not a completely super diffused source. And sometimes you can help by putting an extra a uh, little diffuser in, right in front of the light source, and then another one is the the front of it, and that's that's better. Um, but uh, what what has come about over the years is something called a book light, and just imagine a book that just stood up, kind of open, and stood up, mm -hmm. and and laid laid on its side. Mm -hmm. So it's and and the two covers of the book are one is a reflector and one is a diffuser, and so a book light is that you actually aim a light source. You know, which could be a hard light source or whatever, um, and you aim it at a reflector, mm -hmm. and then the reflection of that then goes through a diffuser. Uh huh. And then softens that up a little bit, and then yeah. gives you more evened, right? Even kind of look. Yeah. So by aiming the light source at a reflector, it's softening it up there, and it's making it bigger, essentially magnifying it, mm -hmm. the the size of it, mm -hmm. and then that magnified um, and diffused source from the reflector is then going through the diffuser to soften it up and make it even bigger. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, it makes a really nice light. And and usually it's for larger portraits or full body shots. So the problem is if you get these Westcott's first, they're really expensive and they're rigid frames. So it takes a while to set them up and they're huge. Right. You know, they're like six feet high. Sure. Um, I was thinking, well, what if I made something instead of with um, this Westcott set, what if I got a, a, a reflector, a pop-up reflector and a pop-up diffuser mm -hmm. and somehow put them together so that I could make a book light but have it portable? 
Mm-hmm. So I kind of invented my own book light. But then I was looking on the web at different sites, and I found this Last Delight Joe McNally Uplight Kit. Mm-hmm. And I will send you a link to that so you look see what that looks like. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so I the idea. Not yes. too much. Not too much. Lastolite. Lastolite. Lastolite is a really great manufacturer of reflectors and backdrops mm-hmm. and all kinds of um, accessories, mostly for light control. Mm-hmm. Um, so, this comes with. So, you see that top part of that, that up, the, the upper portion? Yeah. That's actually the diffuser. Okay. So that's a nice diffuser. It's a two two stop diffusion, which is pretty intense diffusion. Mm-hmm. So that's going to take the light and reduce it by two stops mm-hmm. when it goes through. So you have to have a fairly light, bright light source. Okay. It also comes with different patterns on the on the initial reflector that's on the bottom mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. and um, and then you also get a silvery one, and and that has a couple patterns on it too. So, but I don't necessarily use it as an uplight. Although uplighting is a pretty cool effect. If it's if it's combined with other type of lighting, right? Um, but I use this mostly um, instead of facing up. I actually have it upright, <laughs> and I have it configured so that it's actually um, in the upright position and facing the people from the side as a key light, as a huge book light key light. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then I aim my uh, my flex panels at the reflector, and then that actually then goes to. Uh, illuminate the go through the diffusion and illuminate the people. So this is what I got, and I'm pretty happy with it. I've used it a few times. And it works a, pretty well. It works really well. Mm-hmm. The only issue is it takes a little bit of setup time. Mm-hmm. You know, I think book lights just in general will take some setup time. They're not like instant. You have to, and I have to use two stands to hold it up because I usually have to have it above the ground. It's not just laying on the ground like here. Oh, okay. So, um, so, uh, and I have to figure out a way to mount it a little bit better. So there's that little extension spreader thing. I see that. Yeah, I have to mount that on one stand. So I have to, I right now I'm just using a, a regular Mayford clamp to clamp that onto a stand and then that's on the ground. So imagine that that, that, that longer part of that extension mm-hmm. is actually parallel to the ground, not perpendicular to the ground. Oh, okay. So kind of rotate the whole thing 90 degrees. Right. So and then, so so the book so the uh, book light is it's pointy at the very top. It's almost like a tent type of uh, uh, positioning. Then, um, no, it's no. it's more like it's more like it's pointy to the to the kind of like facing away from the person. The pointy part is facing away from the person. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that that spreader thing is. The whole that whole picture that you're seeing just rotate at ninety degrees. Okay, got and it. And then the and then the person is kind of in line with the uh, the front part of that diffuser. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so I have to put a stand on that one one side with the spreader, and then on the other side with the hinge on it. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure this is all translating very well to the podcast lamp. It's they're they're mesmerized. We should have transferred there. this to the coma segment. <laughs> well, that's anyway, fantastic. A, 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 a book, book light, book light. That's uh, that's another important piece of gear. Uh, it it, it in, is in, in order to get that nice evened uh, lighting look that you need. Yeah, yeah, and I've used it a few times, and I like it. It's a little bit of trouble. I'm not sure if it's worth setting it up all the time. Unless you have the time to do it. But mm-hmm. if you're doing like a shoot, like an all-day photo shoot, all-day video shoot, and you want to have the best, best light, book light's the way to go. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, uh, let's talk about how you keep all this stuff on, and let's talk about power right Oh, now. yeah. 
looks looks here like you got something uh, from Cyber Power. Yes. So what happened the other day, um, or like a couple months ago? And this has happened maybe three or four times since I've been here living in my office or living in my house with my home office, where the power power goes out, and invariably it destroys some piece of equipment <laughs> right. <laughs> or, or, right. or, or ruins something to the point where I have to reformat a hard drive or something like that. And it's or you really, probably, or, 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 or you lose some important project because you didn't save it and it just goes down or something like that. Yeah. It just usually results in lots of swearing and, right. and, and downtime. Sure. So I don't want, I don't want that anymore. Um, so what I, decided to do like a year ago when this happened last was to buy a CyberPower <laughs> 1500 VA PFC UPS LCD battery backup. That's the model that, number. Of this that, thing. That's a mouthful right there. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it's basically just, um, it's not a very large unit. Uh, in fact, I actually need two of them because one isn't enough for all the stuff I'm running. And this is just for compu my computer stuff. It's not really for my photography stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so it's probably the size of a very kind of a mini, mini desktop um, PC. Um, I, how would I describe it? What's, what I'm, is it? I, it? It looks like uh, it looks like a little tower. Yeah, little it's tower like a computer. Mini, it's like if, a, if you got a tower computer, mm -hmm. but to kind of shrunken down, like the Alienware sure. sized right. towers. Right. It's like maybe four inches. I think a thick. lot of people have seen UPSs. This is. Uh, uh, Oh, you know what? This looks like this looks like a uh, like a cable modem on steroids. Yeah, yeah. Or it's, it's, an external hard drive. Yeah, like a really really big yeah hard drive from the fifties. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a bit. Yeah. But just to kind of give you the scale, it's base. It's kind of like the de the 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 shape of a PC mm -hmm. desktop, but yep. But the width, but the thickness is only maybe three and a half four inches, so mm -hmm. it's not that big. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, it, it has the ability to, um, give, it kind of gives you a search protector for all your devices, but it also has a bunch of battery backed up outputs mm. and it also, it's pretty cool because it's got an L an LCD on the front of it that kind of sh can show you different things. And what I have it showing is the current power draw mm -hmm. of my system. So I actually have two of them. Um, one of them was not enough. Uh, in fact, when I plugged, <laughs> so I have this whole closet full of hard drives and another MacBook Pro. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my server backup system. And then I have my main editing system, which is a, a souped up Mac Pro from 2012. And then with, with monitors and hard drives and a whole bunch of stuff. So when I plugged in everything into this one backup, it immediately started beeping like it was going to explode. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh. And that's I did not want that. And I think the beeping went, overload, overload. Right. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> This is what happens when you don't read the manual. Right. So, danger, danger, yeah. Will Robinson. <laughs> so I, and, and the thing too is I actually got this like a year before I even tried it. But it was after that one power outage where I think I lost a hard drive and I had to redo it. And, and so I said, I'm going to, I'm going to install this battery backup that I, that I got like, like a year ago. Um, another reason to get a battery backup is if you get the right kind, you can get a um, a system that actually cleans the power up. Mm -hmm. So all the stuff that's running through the battery, since it's um, not really from the AC, mm -hmm. is actually being conditioned as well. 
So it's and and it can make the it can make everything run better. Um, computers sometimes can be really sensitive to bad AC power. Yes. And so it cleans it up. So and I've actually I think I've actually noticed that since I've um, installed this, my computer crashes less. Oh. I don't know if it's just a coincidence or not. Okay. But um, anyway, so I had to get another one. So I got another one that was matching, and I have one of them hooked up to my main computer system with all with all my stuff that's associated with that, and the other one's hooked up to the closet. And they both draw, and this is how much power I'm using 24-7. Uh, they're both kind of around, when they're not really being used too much, not being stressed, they're both around 500 to 600 watts each. So basically, I have a hair dryer. For, if you combine them, I have yeah. a hair dryer running twenty four seven. Oh wow! And this is why my power bill is so high. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> <laughs> right. that's why you're PG&E's best friend right now. I am, and I'm always getting those letters from PG&E. Those those uh, those letters saying you are three thousand percent over the average for your residence. Right. <laughs> Right when it gives you, you bad. when it gives you those grades, you never get the "I'm good" type of thing. No, I get you were a bad power right. citizen. You could do much better. What's wrong with you? Right. Anyway, um, yeah, those immediately go to the recycling. Yeah, exactly. You don't pay attention to them at all. I'm sure using up more power for the environment. Right. right? Um, anyway, so. Yes, and also on top of this, Macs and PCs have a, a way of um, kind of triggering the backup mechanisms for uh, the, the graceful shutdown mechanisms for a power supply. So you can hook up a, your USB port on your computer mm-hmm. to to the USB port on the the back the battery backup. Oh, nice! They they actually communicate, and when the backup knows that, like if there's a power outage, and the backup actually is being powered by battery now, mm-hmm. the, the, your system is being powered with battery, it tells your Mac or PC, hey, I'm on battery backup. You should shut down right away so you don't lose data. Mm-hmm. And then the, the Mac or PC will try to shut down your system. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, if you're not there to do it, right. when, the, when all the beepers go on, you go nuts and you think something really bad's happening, right. um, you, you, it will do it when you're not home. Right. <laughs> Theoretically. Right. In in practicality, there's always something that's keeping your computer from shutting down. Sure. Do you, are you sure you want to close this document right. without saving it? <laughs> so, exactly. And we'll just do it for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so that's kind of cool. So it's got the little bit of communication. I know. I like these. They're not too expensive. Hmm. They're in the two hundred dollar range. Well, and, and, and you know, and it's and it's just good uh, uh, precautions that you're taking. Yeah, it's all part of the whole backup and precautions. And I guess I would recommend it if you're going to invest any money at all on hard drives and computers it it it's probably good to have a battery backup system mm-hmm. you just never know when that power is going to go out right yeah right so right. anyway good excellent yeah. all right uh what else have we got here we've got here uh what is it draycast yeah draycast so this is one of those specials that i it was like half price or something from bnh like a Almost They're, like a Black Friday type of thing. Huh? Yeah, they have one of these every day, and I thought, oh, wow, Drake, I've heard great stuff about these Draycasts. They're mm-hmm. awesome. And mm-hmm. so I ordered it. I think it was it wound up being like 450 bucks instead of over 1000 mm-hmm. And I think it's a somewhat new model, and sometimes they do that. They just have like an introductory price, but it only lasts a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so I immediately ordered it and, it, and it took like a month to get to me. Oh, wow. Because I think they were back-ordered or something because so many people got it. Anyway, I got it, looked at it, beautiful unit all aluminum it's it's actually like two it's kind of like two of my one by ones 
Okay. Uh, my my Westcott one, buying ones that we just talked about, but mm. it's a in a kind of a traditional metally uh, case. Um, but the thing that's that's cool about this one, or theoretically cool about this one, is that it it folds together to make a, a thicker one by one, and then when you unfold it, it becomes a one by two. And it's by color, so it's it's adjustable um, for brightness, and also you can change the color as well on it. Um, and it looked really well made. Draycast has a great reputation. I'm sure it was a really nice light. Unfortunately, I returned it. Oh, really? Yeah. I think it was a great deal for the 400 or so that it costs. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I was in the market for a, more of a, a less portable light, mm-hmm. it's still darn portable. Way more portable than, than my other portable LEDs that I used to have. Mm-hmm. But but I think because I'm so spoiled now with the super thin and light Westcott's, Right. That I just couldn't imagine myself using this ever, and I think it would just collect dust. Right. So I think it was one of the few times that I was um, prudent. <laughs> and, did, <laughs> and, and, and that is a rarity. Yes. Yeah. And I did not um, keep something that I didn't need. Wow. Yeah. Pretty so, good. Yeah. Wow. So I returned it. Wow. But but I think it was a really good deal at the time, and it's really well made, kind of classic. Although I'm not sure what market it's trying to go to, because I think there's a lot of competition in this area. For the the full price of a thousand or so dollars, so right. I'm not really sure, but um, yeah, I returned that one, but um, it's it's an it's still a really nice unit. Yeah, yeah. well, that's good. Yeah. Well, uh, well uh, I mean, uh, it it didn't work out for you, uh, but like you said, a lot of these things are moving towards the 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 small, flexible, uh, much more portable things. So, yeah. I guess uh, what are you going to do? Yeah, hey, you know, I've noticed in our discussion here that uh, you're really investing a lot into lights now. I am because I, 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 it's actually pretty important for, especially for for stationary work. Yes, and there, I think I was holding off because I think the LED lighting was not as high quality as the tungsten lighting, just the quality of lights. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I noticed that on my old um, recordings, if I look at them, when I was using my old LEDs, there's a kind of a greenish tinge to them and things just don't, skin tones particularly, just don't look as good. And now that I'm using these this new generation of lights that I've invested in, it's way better. And, and so now you're much more apt to actually using lights. Yes, and they're, they're much more portable with the flex lights so I can bring them around even if I don't think I'm going to need them I still bring them anyway because you never know. Right. And I, th- I just decided that this year was a, a time, the time was right and the prices were getting low enough where it, w- it made sense to start investing in some new LED type lights. And and, and I've used them. Right. I, I'm not buying stuff that I'm not using. I'm really using them a lot. So that's really cool. And you've been pleased overall with the, uh, with the way things are moving. Yeah. I'm really pleased. I think eventually LEDs are going to replace everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the light quality out of them is getting way better. They're so much more convenient. They're so much more energy efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, still, you know, you still have um, like the real big film crews and stuff are are still using tungsten because they can afford to. They can afford to have a truck of lights, sure, and pay a whole bunch of people to set them up. And, yes, and then wait an hour for them to cool down so they don't burn down your van. Right. Afterwards. <laughs> but um, but for normal, you know, one man bands or smaller crews, these LED lights are really. Uh, really picking up, and, and the the and the film crews are starting to use them mm-hmm. now a little bit more, and they're starting to become more and more powerful versions of these LED lights that are rivaling some of the 
the regular tungsten or HMI type lights. Great. Yeah. Yeah. But that's yeah, great. this I've I have I've been I think I spent a lot of money this year on lighting. Yeah, it sounds like it. it sounds like yeah. uh, th- 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 this has been a, a good investment for you as far as uh, different types of equipment that you. I, th- I think using. so, and and I and I think and with lighting, kind of like with lenses, what we talked about before, it seems like lighting is a good investment. Mm-hmm. Like it might get cheaper, but you're just going to keep using it a lot. Right. And the longevity, it's not going to necessarily become obsolete like camera bodies. Right. Yeah. So I think it's a fairly good investment. Good. Excellent. Yeah. Great. Well, I think that uh, that wraps up some of the new things that you've gotten here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, obviously we're going to have a lot more as uh, new episodes come out because uh, Keith Moreau's never short on uh, <laughs> trying new things. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we will revisit this in, uh, in upcoming uh, episodes. But uh, Keith, thank you so much. Thank you mm-hmm. for uh, sharing uh, your new get list uh, that Mm -hmm. you've gotten Mm -hmm. and uh, let's take a break let's take a break and come back with more of the uh, fun and festivities we like to call tech Well, I think we've almost reached the end of another fantastic episode of Tech Move. Uh, this has been Rod Louie and Keith Moreau. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, Keith, let, let's uh, let's kind of recap a little bit and uh, maybe talk about a couple little short things before we actually pull the plug on this uh, episode here. Yeah, um, and I have to remind people that almost towards the end of Tech Move is still... Like a full podcast for regular, <laughs> this is for most other podcasts. This is, this is what we call tease. This is what we call a tease. People and are going, oh, thank God, it's 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 almost over, right? Nope. See, but if you actually see your status bar on the player you're using, we're about halfway through the darn thing. So, uh, so anyway, back to what I was saying. In conclusion. <laughs> you, you know, you, uh, you know, Keith, uh, I, I'm. I, I really have to say I'm very excited about the possibility of me moving into uh, a Sony A6500 system. Okay, so I'm going to... Okay, I didn't get a chance to do this before. I'm going to read off our Facebook page because one of our biggest fans, Dennis oh. Kane... Ah! Who, I'm mentioning Dennis by name. Dennis, who, if you're out there. I know what you're going to say. He was kind enough to send me a message. Is right. that right? You want to read it or you want me to read it? Uh, I, I'd like you to read it. That way I can respond as if you were <laughs> Dennis King. Okay. I'm going to be you, Dennis. We've met a few times, so uh, I think I can probably imitate you pretty well. <laughs> this ought to be good, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure this ought to be good. It, it, it should sound like Keith making a different voice, so this will be great. Go ahead. Hi, Rod. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, D- Dennis is like seven foot two. Is he really? So he's a and he very... weighs like four hundred and seventy pounds. No, no, actually he's not. It, it, but it, is he a uh, a very tall, well statured individual? He's 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 a very handsome person. Okay, let's put it that way. Good. But um, but I, I I'm I'm actually going to just change his voice so no so he still uh, maintains anonymity because you know he's he's actually kind of a celebrity. 
Well, so yeah, I'm just going to well, change. Well, it. because I'm not going to because he listens to the Tech Move podcast, of course. That's pretty much on. yeah. That's the qualification. Um, hi, Rod. M four slash three micro four thirds versus Sony. Both are good cameras. It depends on your application. Personally, I like to travel, so weight is a big concern. My cameras are GH4 and Olympus EM1. And on our last vacation to the Galapagos, I had three bodies and six lenses, all in a carry-on that fit in my overhead. Can't do this with Sony and those heavy lenses. No, you cannot. I would have had much less fun if I had to lug around those Canon white lenses. Low-light capabilities are not that big of an issue for me when I consider how much happier I am not carrying heavy camera lenses. Newer Micro Four Thirds cameras like the EM2 and GH5 will be better, much better in low light, so you might want to wait a bit before making a decision. I also love my Hutu. Thanks for the tip. Keep up the great work. Best. Dennis Kane. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I want to say that uh, not only am I frightened to death <laughs> because of that, uh, that, that voice, uh, but I'm also going to agree with the voice of Dennis Kane because I'm just afraid that if I disagreed, that there would probably be an axe in the middle of my forehead. <laughs> Uh, but because we know that Dennis Kane is a very kind individual, that uh, he does not sound like the serial killer <laughs> that was portrayed just now. And Dennis, our deepest apologies <laughs> to you in that portrayal. Uh, believe you me, we have great affection for you, and we thank you so much for uh, being such a, a, a great listener of the podcast and supporter of the podcast. Um, but in, in, in reality, uh, because of that moving kind of Christopher Lee slash Orson Welles depiction of, of the note and, and, and Batman and, and Batman, and yes, Batman, correct. Uh, you know, I actually, I actually do agree with, with Dennis quite a bit because, you know, me and Dennis are, are cut from the same cloth. We're both great GH uh, Panasonic fans, right? I mean, I I can't let go of my GH1. Uh, he's he's obviously in you know in the GH4 area and probably looking at the next GH5, which we know is right down the road. Yeah. Um. But you know, like we talked about, kind of in our intro, uh, I you know with this and, and you know and I think when Dennis sent us that uh, uh, that very kind comment and and I and we <clears throat> greatly appreciate it uh, I want to say that that was right before the Sony a65 came out or was announced what might, might that be true Keith might that be true um well you know 
I think it was. I think our last episode we talked about the 6300. I don't think we talked about the 65. Right. I'm pretty so, pretty sure we did. So I so yeah. you know Dennis shoot us a shoot us another email, shoot us another comment or something and give me your thoughts on what you think of the 6500 now. Because I'm telling you, you know, this thing for me is really making me consider making this switch. I I I am, you know, and and with that as we talked about in the beginning, you know, the the Sony A6500 matched with a adapter like a Metabones or the Sigma MC11 or any of these Comlight things. Any one of those, and then maybe match that up with a Sigma uh, art lens. What is it, 1.8? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, 18 yeah. to, what is it, 18 to 35, 18 to 55? Can't yeah. remember which one it is. Um, 18 to 35. You match those babies up. And I wonder if that wouldn't be, you know, the end-all beat-all for, you know, the casual shooter like myself. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, Dennis is probably a little bit more, a, a little more uh, advanced than I am in it. But I think that this Sony system could be fantastic when it comes to travel. Well, I beg to differ, Rod. <laughs> Listen, Rod, if you don't want an axe in the middle of the night in the back of your head, you're going to get a micro four-third system. kind of sounds like Charles Bronson also. <laughs> I start in Death Wish. Right. Um, so here's the thing. Dennis is right because, you know, the, the 18 to 35, is it's actually kind of big and heavy. The, the, the what? The what? The, the, the Sigma... Uh, eighteen to thirty-five right. art lens. Yes, it's kind of it's kind of big and heavy. Correct. It's it's not it's not it's going to be bigger than probably any lens you have for your micro four thirds. Okay. So what I'm what I'm doing, Rod, is I'm 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 going to make you reconflicted. Okay. So that you which I appreciate toss, tossing and turning which I appreciate for the next three months. Yes. 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 But 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 I'll but I'll take I'll take Dennis's point of view. Yes. So so you're going to be. Getting this, you know, much much larger, heavier lens system, and it's going to be sticking out a lot farther. Absolutely, your, your yes. Current micro four thirds. Correct. You know, because you have that. Then you have also have that adapter on the end. You know, the the Sigma adapter or whatever you're going to put on there. Right. So you've got you now. Now your lens is is it's heavier, and your your center of gravity and this whole thing is going to be out like another eight inches mm-hmm. than what it was before. Right. And so it's going to be a substantial change, even with this really small light body, the A6500. It's still going to be a substantial change, right? And then, um, yeah, you're going to get good low light, and that's great. Um, but you're going to be carrying on carrying around a bigger system, and that's just that's just going to be a given. Yeah, you know, when you hang, have that thing hanging around your head, it's going to be noticeable. Yeah, it's not going to be that really lightweight, um, you know, fourteen uh, thirty-five or I think it's or twelve to thirty-five that that you know it's 12, a pretty s- small yeah. little thing on your GH one. Although I don't think you have that lens yet, but that's you know probably something you would get if you didn't get this other system. So, you know, so you, you got to think of that there, and also the you know there's the there's the Olympus stuff too, and apparently the E, the OM two or the there's some new Olympus camera that just came out recently, and it has really good 4K on it. Yeah, that you know what that and also the the Fuji uh, camera is supposed to be uh, almost equally as fantastic too. 
Yeah. Now, is the Fuji Micro Four Thirds? I don't think it is. I think that's yeah. actually an APS-C or something like that. Yeah, yeah. some weird format. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think I, I think if I were going to look, you know, like think about it a little bit more, I'd, I'd I probably wouldn't wait for the GH5 because that's just like vaporware. Who knows when that's coming out? Right. Who knows how good it's going to be? Right. You know, it's it's it gonna could be, be it could than, be a GH three type of thing, right? Where where you know it's a little bit better than the GH two, but then you know the GH four was the one you really wanted to jump to if you could. Yeah, and if it doesn't have an ima- uh, stabilized imager, then it's just it's not gonna, you're not going to get it. Yeah, but but the Olympus stuff does have a really good stabilized imager. In fact, in fact, that latest one has been tested, and you should look at like Newsshooter. Because they have somebody who actually did a whole huge review on it and saying, "Is this going to be replacing my Steadicam? It's so good, you know." Mm-hmm. So, you may want to just look at that a little bit more. Yeah, just, just look into it. Uh, I, 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 and I have been, I have been looking at it. Okay. Um, uh, you know, all excellent, excellent cameras, mm-hmm. and uh, and it is a major change. It's a major change. You know yeah. uh, uh, what I am considering, yeah. uh, but you know there was also a time many episodes ago. Could have been in our first, you know, couple of episodes where I had also had had the uh, the fight within myself of going full frame. Right, right. I mean, remember mm-hmm. you know way back then, you know, because yeah. I was just kind of sick of the the cropping and the, the crop factor and just not getting what I want to get and stuff like that. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm still in that. I'm still feeling that way. And and I just don't know. That's why it always comes up. I'm not sure what the survival rate of the Micro Four Thirds is going to be. I'm still not sure about it. So you think that it's actually not going to survive well i mean you know olympus has poured all their money into it so is you know of course panasonic and stuff like that but yeah uh you know it's kind of like what we talked about in the in the intro what peripherals are there for a micro four thirds versus for aps-c yeah what's available out there you know well who's 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 making more things out there for one system or the other yeah, there's less adapters for the Micro Four Thirds. There's, there's less, le- and and, and yeah. you know, and and you know what the uh, you know uh, Metabones came out with a fantastic uh, adapter for Micro Four Thirds. Yeah, right, terrific. Mm-hmm. You know, you could put a Sigma Art lens, you know, on, on a GH four and get terrific stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, uh, but this uh, but this in body stabilization. This uh, 400 plus focus points, this touch screen where where I should be able to to uh, you know draw focus from that, mm-hmm. pretty darn attractive. It is pretty it darn is. attractive. I, yeah. I you know I you know l- like I said, Panasonic's got it on on you know on my uh, uh, fully articulating screen, but um, you know uh, that's the thing I might relinquish. Uh, for for a for a Sony system, but you know, uh, uh, you know, you know me. I'm still gonna wait a little bit. You know, I'm not I'm not pulling the trigger just yet. So, uh, you know, uh, Panasonic can uh, can pull out the GH4 Mark II or the GH5, 
Yeah. And uh, and wow me with that, and uh, you know that would that would certainly save me a ton of money because you know I've got a couple lenses already for that, and yeah. I wouldn't have to start all over again. Right. Uh, you know that would be terrific. But you know, in reality, you know, are are can you improve a sensor? You know, the, the, even with the Olympus, uh, you know how, how how good is the low light here? I'm not sure. Yeah. Have yeah, you may want to look into that a little bit with the low light and a speed booster and a fast lens and see. Like you could you could get a speed booster for the Sigma 18 to 35 that fits your fits a micro four thirds. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's probably a really common popular combo. Uh, combo uh, th- there have been plenty of people online who 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 have used their GH4 with the Sigma you know and whatever adapter they decide to use. Yeah, brilliantly have used it. Fan, just terrific. Yeah, it's 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 been great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know. I I mean, the focus point thing seems to be very very good. You know, I'll I'll tell you what. We just had a a, a family party. You know, we're we're recording this now during the holidays now. So lot yeah. lot lo, lot of parties have been going on. I I did a lot of still photography in low in indoor conditions with photography lights and i was still out of focus <laughs> i was still out of focus even even with even with the gh1 autofocus i was still out of focus it still didn't pick it up right and everything that comes out new now is just brilliant the way they the the the, the, the way it just locks on so beautifully yeah. and you know and maybe every one of these new cameras can do that but uh, you know what? What am I going to grow with? Is 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 I guess where because you know I buy cameras so infrequently. This one's going to have to last me for a few years, right? So anyway, but hey, Dennis, fantastic! Uh, uh, but I would really love your opinion, Dennis, about uh, your thoughts on the uh, A sixty five hundred. Tell me what you think with that baby coming out. And, uh, you know, and then we'll revisit again. Uh, you know, it'll be at least another two or three episodes before I actually get it. So I got plenty of time to talk about it. So anyway. Okay. Well, Dennis, um, research up on the uh, A6500. Sell me on the GH5. We'll Sell me on the GH5. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> or or the Olympus o, OM whatever it is. Something like yeah. that. Sell me office. on those things too. So, uh, anyway, uh, Keith, a- along that line, another big detraction with the Sony systems versus mm-hmm. the Panasonic mm-hmm. is, of course, the recording length time. Uh, you know, even from the GH1, you know, it's been, you know, with the hack, unlimited recording time, right? We, we uh, until the card runs out, you could record right until the card runs out or until the battery goes out, whichever yeah. one comes first. Sony's on the other hand, I think we're limited to the thirty uh, uh to the thirty minute limit. Is that correct? That's right. Um, it seems like all the Sony cameras are artificially limited at thirty minutes, and it's it's thirty minutes seems like a long time, but if you're using the cameras for you know interviews, it's it always catches me. Right, I set, I set these cameras up a lot for interviews. They're usually my sometimes they're in my A cameras, but they're certainly my B cameras, and I usually have two going at once, in addition to my A camera. So I'm always having to check to see if the limit ran out, to see if the batteries run out, 
and I've been bitten by both all the time. Right. It's really annoying. Sure. So, yeah, just so along those lines, and I think I mentioned to you this a while back, and I said I was going to try this thing out. This guy came out with a hack to remove the 30-minute video recording limit. Uh, on the Sony systems or just certain ones or what? Um, I think it actually works on pretty much all the A series cameras. Ooh. Anything with an A. Ah. And there might be some others it works with. Any, I think it's anything that can that uses the Play Memories app. There's this, um, <clears throat> you know, Sony has kind of an ecosystem of apps for yes. their camera. Correct. And um, there's a few things that they they offer themselves. You actually have to sign up for an account. So there's a site called um, Play Memories. CameraApps.com, and it's an it's a Sony sponsored site, and you have to create an account, and so you sign you create an account, and then you sign in. I've already I created an account a while back. Okay. Um, and you have to verify that I am not a robot. You 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 know, uh, Sony has you create an account for things like their Playstations and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Which which, which I have. Would yeah. I be able to use that same account with 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 this particular Play Memories camera apps site, or is it something completely different you should use? That's a very good question, Rod. <laughs> I really don't know. Very I think good. it's I think it's its own site. I don't think it's linked to PlayStation. You know what? I'm going to try it right now. See okay. if I can sign in. Go, you, wow. go ahead and keep talking. Yeah. Well, anyway, so you need to log in, and then you need to. Um, connect your camera to your web browser. It's kind of cool because it seems like the web browsers can communicate somehow directly with the cameras now if you plug them into USB on your computer. Yep. So you just need to uh, get an account, log in, connect your, your A7 whatever up, and then see if it can communicate with your camera. And then you can show the applications that are on your camera, etc. and it kind of goes through this USB interface. So once you got that established, then you go to the special site, and it's all going to be listed on, on the website. So if you want more detail about this, you can go to the website. Now, TechMove is not sanctioning hacking your Sony camera. You could easily void your warranty. You could brick the camera. You can brick the camera. Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, but I did it. and uh, <laughs> Of course you did. I did it. I was just so frustrated, and I and at first I actually tried it first with the, my least valuable A series camera, which was my A7S, my original A7S, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which has just been a paperweight sitting on a shelf pretty okay. much for like a year. Okay. So uh, ever since I got my A7S2 and others, so I tried it with that, and I was kind of you know it's kind of like the same thing when I was upgrading my CPU. It's like don't break my camera, mm -hmm. don't break it, mm -hmm. um, and it worked. It was really. It was kind of amazingly easy to update it. May, may I interrupt real quickly? Yeah. Uh, I was able to get in using my PlayStation uh, ID that I have. Wow. So okay. I'm, I'm, I'm in it right now. Okay. And, uh, and they have a little go-to spot called the Simple Four-Step Installation Guide, of which I think you might be talking about. So it essentially looks like this. Step one, you create an account. Step two, you set up the download tool. Step three, uh, 
this is kind of like a combo thing. You you plug in the camera into into your USB port of your computer. You download the recommended app, and then it just goes. Yeah. Does that sound about right? That sounds about right. I mean, it looks like you don't even have to really do anything except download the app. Uh, so you went to the the Tweak app, well, or I'm or at, you went I'm to at, the I'm I'm at Play Memories Cameras app, right? Yeah, and then at the bottom, uh, well, I mean, you could scroll through all those different things that you could buy, uh, but there's a bar there where it has uh, select all applications, but then there's this thing uh, in green. It's a simple four step installation. Oh yeah, guide. I see that. Uh huh. I don't know if that's it or not, but that's what I clicked. And uh, looks like it'd be something that yeah you'd th- want to do. That's pretty much it. Yeah, you have to go through this these steps of creating an account, set up the download tool, download an app, and complete. Yeah. So basically, once you can do that, then you're ready for the for the uh, the hack. Oh, oh, okay. So that's not the hack. That's prepping no. for the hack. That's that's just to see if you can connect your camera to your computer. Ah. Use use. Theoretically, use the hack. Okay, right. By using that. the by using the official stuff. Got it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so the next thing is you go to this other site, and I have it. We'll have it on the website. Okay. And it's something like um, it's on a, a place called AppSpot.com. And Sounds safe. Yeah, <laughs> and it just takes you to this site, and you go to this link, and then you connect. You have your camera still connected up, and it says install the tweak, and you install it, and then I think you can turn your camera off and on, and then later you you look at the setting on your camera, and the setting is uh, over thirty minutes or something like that, infinite number of hours like 100 hours or something like that. And then after that, you will not it will not shut off at 30 minutes. Oh, really? Yeah, it will just keep recording. Forever. Have you have you tested that yet? Yes. And how 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 did it go? Um, I think I put a 256 gigabyte card in there. Uh-huh. Or what do I have? No, I have 128 gigabyte cards and I put one in and just was able to fill the whole thing up and that was that's like two and a half hours. Wow. Yeah. That's terrific. Yeah. I had it. I had it set up, and I al- it also didn't overheat. That's another thing. Oh, yeah. that's kind of surprising. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. So um, now here's the thing: the A7 batteries don't last very long. Right. So and even even the batteries, the batteries are so wimpy that even with a battery grip which has two batteries, yeah. they still don't last that long. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, always, so, do you have a uh, a uh, did you do the hack where, like, you might use a the the USB port to uh, keep it continuously uh, powered up? Um, I I've never done the USB port thing, and I don't think it. I think it just kind of augments the battery life. Mm, okay. So uh, I guess you could have a you could have um the battery grip which has two batteries and the USB port with another extra battery. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe it would last for. Maybe as long as you would need, but that's like a lot of connections. And yes, it is. I just I didn't I didn't know if I wanted to deal with extra wires and stuff. Right. But um, I did um, create a kind of a uh, generic 
like little cage because I had this cage for my A7s yes. that I really use. Well, I strapped on basically a something that converts um, one of these really common um, Sony type batteries. So you know, there's there's a type of Sony battery. Yep. It's the NP series type of battery. Um, they're called NP dash F, and then there's like F550s, F770s, F950s, etc. 970s. There are varying sizes of really standard um, Sony batteries that you can get third-party versions for really, really cheap. Um, like they're just really, really common now. They've been they've been used in Sony cameras for forever, camcorders. Um, so you can get this, um, and it'll, it'll there'll be links on the website. You can get these um, these things that turn basically give you a a DC out from that battery. Oh, nice! It's kind of like a battery charger. You know how you clip your uh, clip your battery into a battery charger. Yes, it's yes. kind of like that, but it's just got a little um, output on it, and you can take that output and then put it into an adapter that goes into the battery slot on your A7S. Hmm. Yeah. That sounds pretty so, neat. Yeah. So I did that first, and it was okay. Um, it's kind of a little extra, and it's a little jury rigged, mm-hmm. but uh, I could see using that. And in fact, I did actually use it for a shoot, um, pretty recently. Um, what was it? Oh yeah, I was I was filming a um, city council meeting, and so I had that set up on my I think it was an A7S2. Okay. Just filming the crowd. Just had it on, and I had a large card, and I just had it on the whole time, the whole meeting, with my hack, because I, after I did after I successfully got the hack working on the my old obsolete A7S, right. I proceeded to update all my other a7s all my and, new ones and, and and you were pleased enough with it and you just did it for everything else i just did it i just did it and so, and have you tested all of them wh- whether or not they 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 do it or not yeah, or I, yeah i've tested all of them and it all works fine wonderful and f- yeah and from, from what i actually understand the hack is not really hacky i mean i'm still not not condoning it and telling everybody to do it i'm just telling you what i did yeah but um, from what I understand, it's just an installation of an app that can easily be um, reversed, remo- removed, yeah, uh-huh. removed from your camera as well. Oh, you can okay. Just uninstall it. Oh, so so it's not like our my GH one to GH thirteen, where like no. it's this whole like you're almost changing the entire ecosystem and stuff like that, right? No, it's not a firmware update. It's not changing yes. the firmware in the camera. It's uh-huh. just changing an, a, a program that the camera uses. Well, that's or that's neat. Not, not really even changing a program that the camera... What what it does, from what I understand, this, this little app rewrites a file that just has the limit <laughs> yeah. baked into it. And so it just rewrites that file. Um, I don't know if there's other weird limitations to it. I don't think there are. Um, because so far it's worked okay for me. But anyway, getting back to this battery solution. So the thing is, once you have this 30-minute limit, well, then having bigger batteries and more battery time makes a difference. So, yeah, I used this rig that I created, and it worked really well. But then the other day, and, I, and I'd seen the solution before, the other day on B&H, they were actually having one of their flash sales. And there's another unit, which is really cool. Um, it's called the Atomus Power Station for video. Oh, okay. And, yeah, and you might want to look that up. Um. So I'm I think it's, it nor- up it's now. Looking it up right now. Yeah, and they're normally kind of expensive. They're normally like for over four hundred dollars or something. 
interesting little box. Yeah, it's basically just um, a dual battery power receptacle. And it has outputs for USB and inputs for USB and outputs for uh, power yeah. connectors. Yeah. And the power connectors have a bunch of different adapters. And on the video version, they give you all these different adapters for different kinds of cameras. And one of them is the A7 type of battery. And there's a Canon type battery. There's a, I believe that there's a GH4 type battery. Let me see. Uh, yep. I, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at it. it d- d- does it look like it screws into the tripod uh, uh, port? Yeah. Well, it's actually just got a quarter twenty screw on the top. Uh huh. It's kind of like a, like a tripod would be. Right. So it yeah. almost looks like it's like, um, uh, lack of a better term, like a another battery grip type of thing that just fits at the bottom of your camera. Yeah, it's like a battery grip, but you can put gigantic batteries on it. Right. Onto it. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it's not. I don't know if it's something that you'd want to like run and gun with. Maybe you could. I mean, it's definitely pretty light. Yeah. In fact, one of my complaints is that the, it's kind of plasticky, but it seems solid enough. I just I I don't I don't know if I'd want to drop it. I wish it was made out of metal for this price, but it's okay. Um, and I probably put smaller batteries on it because with two of these these NPF type batteries on it, it's it's pretty heavy. Yeah, it looks like it could be very heavy if yeah. uh, you put on some pretty big batteries on this. Yeah, thing. but if you just put the smaller ones on it, it'll still run for like three hours. I think these two batteries I have now on it will probably last like 20 hours. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's pretty it's good. Probably, yeah, but it's the thing that's cool about it, it's nice and compact, and it's it works really well, and it's got a lot of power indicators on it to show you what's going on with the batteries. Yeah. And the batteries are hot swappable, so you can take the battery off and plug another one in without the unit powering down. So once you sense one of the batteries running out, you you can just detach it and put a new one on, and it'll still power off the remaining battery. And I really like the the USB ports that are there that you yeah. could uh, uh, you know uh, you know you could power it, other you, you other could stuff. Po- you could power looks like your uh, your laptop computer if you needed to or something yeah like that with it yeah like while you're videoing something and you're you're when you're you running s- and gunning you can uh, do the database at the same time or uh, exactly or, uh, off your iPad or something like that yeah if your phone's running out of power choose to check Facebook you can plug that in exactly <laughs> oh, look, it actually looks pretty it, it, it is pretty neat I mean yeah. Uh, uh, did did you say uh did you give us a price on this or, or? well it it normally i wouldn't necessarily recommend it unless you're really hardcore because it's about four hundred dollars yeah is the normal price right but um they had a sale on b and h like one of those daily deal sure. zone sales and sure. it was only two fifty oh that, yeah. that that sounds like a great deal for something yeah. like this yeah so I just got a couple of them oh that's great. Yeah. Hey, correct me if I'm wrong. It looks like it has full size USB and then maybe a micro USB, two micro USBs on the other side. Yeah, and I'm not. Yeah, well, one of them's for a firmware update, and the other one, it's. I think it's got a mini USB, but I think that's just for firmware update. I don't. I think. I think. I don't think there's power out from those. Oh, okay. Only from the only from the full size USBs that are there. Yeah, which is pretty normal. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna take a photo of it with my. I'm going to just send you right now a photo of the of the uh, system as it's mounted on oh. what I mounted it on. Because I, what I did was I put a little RC2 type receptacle on top of it. Okay. So that I can just quickly clip on my my camera to it. Like I don't have to spend a lot of time screwing it down. I'm receiving the file right now. 
and I'm uh, and let me give you my opinion on it. It's not little. No, it's big, almost as big as the camera. Yeah, it's. But um, that's okay. That's okay. What I what I you know what it looks like to me. It looks like you're you're mounting a uh, a uh, Bluetooth you a uh, Bluetooth speaker to the bottom of your uh, <laughs> to, to your uh, camera, like you're trying to get export sound like crazy. But but that's kind of what it looks like a, a, a little bit. Yeah, but what I what but I for that see, I mean it better power up a city for crying out loud. It, it's it'll power. I won't have to worry about it. Yeah. It's one less. So Obviously. what I what I envision doing is taking this along to a gig, like an interview type gig uh, or session, and just taking a couple of these with my two A7s, and then I can use it to power the camera as well as a monitor on top. Oh, yeah. And yeah. and then with the 30-minute limit broken, and then with large cards, like I might even put in like a 256 card, so I don't even have to worry about changing it ever. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, just having this amazing camera that can just go forever. That's pretty neat. Yeah. I, 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 you, you know, like you said, maybe not great for run and gun, but certainly for an established shot, for a uh, interview situation, th- this looks like something you need to have. Yeah, I, I think so. I think this is going to fill it out, and it's still portable, small and portable. It's yep. definitely worth taking around and just one less thing to worry about, one less point of failure. Now, what are those uh I'm looking at where you put the batteries, right? It yeah. looks like there are three like almost like quarter inch uh inputs in there. What 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 is that? Are there three oh. dots? What what is that? Yeah. The three dots, well one I think is for charging. So the, I think the bottom dot dot is to put in their charger. If you want to use the battery station as a charger, you can. Um, you plug in a adapter that they an AC adapter that they provide into the lowest uh, port. Oh, so like that's a nine volt type of input that's there. Yeah, some type of input. I'm not sure what the okay. voltage is. It's whatever it gotcha. takes. Gotcha. And then the top two ports are for the adapters to the cameras or whatever device you have so in the case what i'll probably be doing is using the other port to power my small hd 502 or 501 right um and because those take and those are always running out of batteries those are so power hungry those take the canon type batteries a little bit smaller batteries mm-hmm. and i'll just plug uh the adapter into that into my 501s or 502s and then i have a nice little monitoring system that's not going to run out of power ever yeah that looks good yeah I like the way that thing looks. It looks like yeah. it could be very, very useful. Yeah, and if I wanted to, I could even, um, you know, have some uh, HDMI 4K output going to some other recorder. Right. You know, and just have have it all powered by this yeah. amazing but battery system. One thing, sure, sure, yeah. sure. So I'm I'm kind of happy about that, and I did spend a little bit of money on the jury rig solution, but that's okay. I think I spent like fifty or sixty bucks on the little parts and stuff to make that work, but that's okay. Oh, you know what's very interesting? It, it promotes itself as being able to charge three times faster. So I think that's it's as a charger. If you plug that adapter into it, it'll charge really fast. Okay. So I guess you can use it as a charging station if you really need nice. to. Nice. Yeah. Like Great. A really fast charging station. So I, I might use it for that. That's not. I have a ton of, you know, regular desktop charging things from my yeah. these type of batteries. I have like ten of them. Right. So I, I'm not too. That's not a big selling point for me. 
but but it's you know if if I wanted to, I guess it's there. I I I think what's nice because if you're out on the field, you never know when you're going to need something like that, right? Oh, so, that's true. So instead of bringing those chargers, if I bring yeah. this and the adapter, then that that's then and I don't have it. to bring these little chargers. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 better to just buy bring a cable than it is to bring a charger, right? Yep. So yeah, you're right. And then if I'm staying somewhere, like I'm away from my charging office, right? It really is a charging office. I don't know if you've seen my battery. <laughs> have you seen my battery setup? I, I have not. I'm sure. Okay, I'm going to send you a picture Another of my battery one. setup. You're going to be crazy. Okay, this is this is going to be good. I'm 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 sure. I, I'm sure it's probably going to look like the assembly line at Tesla or something like that, right? It it it, it pretty much does. It's it's kind of crazy. I don't know. I don't know if you're going to be able to see capture if I can capture it all. Okay, Here, let me just capture it in all its greatness that it is. Yeah, I have to. I think I'm gonna have to change the exposure a little bit because it's kind of dark. Because mm-hmm. um, it's against a white wall. But let me just. Okay. <laughs> it looks like a so, dis- looks like a museum. Actually, it's quite yeah. Quite if you zoom in, where, where, you where is in, it at the bottom? It's the bottom shelf and then the With, bottom whoop. table. Oh, the bottom. Oh yeah. The, hey, that looks awesome. That's great. <laughs> And the, yeah. and the middle, the middle shelf has all the batteries stacked up. That the, the charged batteries. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> that's crazy. Really, that is impressive. That <laughs> wow. Hopefully, there's no nuclear leakage there. I mean, it would probably eat through the foundation of your house. Wow, that's that's impressive. Uh, very yeah, very little, good. Sorry, it's so messy, but you get no, the idea. I, I like it. <laughs> I like it. It looks like a, a real studio, like where where things really happen. Okay. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Anyway, so, you've seen you've seen my um, battery supply. Yes, and my battery charger. Yes, um, junkyard. It's it's impressive. <laughs> it's very impressive. I I must say, I you know I I I think if. Uh, if Sony ever wants to do like a photo shoot of every type of battery that there is, uh, they could just come to you and ask you because you've you've got pretty much every battery that there is. Pretty much, that's great. Pretty much, yeah. No, that's awesome. You 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 know what? You ought to figure out a way on how to turn all those batteries and uh, make your car a hybrid uh, vehicle. <laughs> you, you ought to do that. It's impressive. Yeah, just take like half an hour to plug them all in. No, that's great. Um, fantastic! No, that, that that I I congratulations on that uh uh on on, on that uh power solution plus breaking the thirty minute mark. Uh, I know that that was something that was really kind of killing you. So uh, it was. It was good. just annoying me every time I did a long shoot of interviews or whatever I was doing. Um, it would just always come up, and so now I don't have to worry about it. So I'm, I guess that makes sense. What Terrific. Terrific, yeah. terrific. Um, we have come down to the end of uh, of the show. Oh, it's, is it really the end now? I think this is real. I mean, like it, considering that we're now at almost the the forty minute <laughs> mark now, or actually over it uh, with a little editing, maybe with a little editing, a little <laughs> editing, it probably will be forty two minutes <laughs> instead. <laughs> Uh, but, but, uh, but there's some stuff that I that we need to tease for the next, and that's episode. what I wanted to get to. I I, yeah. I I found this very interesting. Uh, what you had reported to me in our uh, pre-show meeting mm-hmm. uh, that we have high atop the luxury <laughs> studios of the Tech Move podcast. Um, I thought I heard something 
somewhat controversial, Keith, that uh, you were playing both sides of the fence. And when I say that, uh, we all know that you are the master of Premiere Pro. Um, and Unfortunately. Ev- and everything Premiere, right? Um, well, I've been using it pretty, pretty nonstop since like 2010. Correct. Yes, yeah. and for you, that's a really long time. People yeah. just don't really realize that, that for you, you know, that type of loyalty is really unheard of when it comes to tech type of stuff. <laughs> um, but uh, th- th- there's been an awful rumor going around the office here that you've actually been uh, experimenting with Final Cut Pro. I would uh, like a, uh abbreviated explanation on that. Uh, right now, Keith, before we close the show. Uh, abbreviate explanation is I was getting a little frustrated with the Premiere Pro situation, just still stability issues, speed issues. I've been hearing all this great stuff about Final Cut, um, Final Cut Pro 10, and I know that in the last four or five years it's evolved a lot. You know, I think when it first came out, it was it was not very good, but. But every year they update it, or every few months they update it. I mean, it's it's actually had a lot of updates. It's not. It doesn't seem like one of those pieces of software that Apple's going to abandon. It seems like they're going to continue to support it, and that was a little bit of my concern initially too. But um, in fact, they just came out with version ten point three, which has apparently a lot of new features in it. More more pro features, more audio features. A concept of of mixing called lanes, not really mixing, but editing called lanes. Um, it expanded uses of roles and other supposed a uh, little more customization of of how it looks. Um, so, just for the first time in about four or five years, I started trying it out, testing it out, and I subscribed to Linda, which I I had had a scrip- subscription a long time ago when I was learning the Premiere Pro stuff. And I, I got another subscription because they have a lot of great resources on learning a new software. And um, I'm going I'm going through the whole Final Cut 10 course. Oh. Yeah. And um, it's, it's weird because it's kind of like they just felt like, you know, we've got to take all these uh, concepts that have been around forever in editing and just rename them so they're, <laughs> they're different. Right. So, and, so there and, are proprietary uh, names, right? Yeah, they they like for example a sequence, they call it a project. You know, and previously a project was like a whole bunch of sequences related to each other. Right. But now a project is a sequence, is a timeline. You know, <laughs> and and then they have a storyline, but really it's just a track in your sequence or in in your so-called project so it's learning it's learning the vernacular all over again or at least trying to learn what it is in this dialect that everyone's been using before kind it kind of is and i just wish that they just called them what they were before yeah it would have been, it'd been a lot easier there would have been less translation sure. but it's okay i can i can make those little connections it's kind of like learning a new language it's like okay yep. this this word you know is is in English and this word is in Spanish or whatever. Right. So correct. So it's just kind of like learning a new language, but the same concepts. There's some new concepts though. They're really, really 
into creating these keywords for different things. You know, like you can create, you can put, put a whole bunch of keywords on a clip and that clip can appear in all kinds of searches. It doesn't have to just be in one place all the time. Mm, interesting. So that, yeah. So that part's kind of good. That might be good for you with all the, with all the different uh, footage that you have and you can archive them a little bit easier or something like that, maybe. Yeah. If I want to go through that step of keywording things yeah. in, in all the media and stuff, then yeah, I could probably pull some up, stuff up faster. And I, I think that's what they were thinking when they designed it. They said, let's, let's make it really database oriented and really searchable and this and that. And let's make everything data, the big database and not, not so much tracks and bins and and clips and things like that, but something that's easy to find stuff. Right. You know, it's so it's a little bit kind of the concept of the Mac now too, which is using Spotlight to find things. Uh, using you know, instead of just putting yeah. all your apps in one area, all your documents in one, just put them wherever you want. Right. And then just find them wherever they may be. You know, it's like throw your big pile of, <laughs> of documents and stuff in the middle of your office, kind of like my office. Right. Just throw them anywhere. Right. Except I don't have Spotlight to find stuff in my office, right. but that's that's another. If you, could, if you could find those <laughs> batteries, it'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like, just put it, put it wherever you want. It doesn't really matter where you put it, right? You, but you can find it, you know, and that's it. So that way you don't have to waste a lot of time necessarily putting stuff in the right place uh, to start with, but you do have to spend time tagging it, which is kind of like putting it in the right place. Yeah. So it's just a different way of spending your time anyway. So, uh, but one thing that I've noticed so far, just in my limit, and I have to, I'll come back next episode. I think I'll have used it on a real project and I'll come back and give you my real, you know, pros report on it. Sure. But from my little, um, you know, just experimentation, it's really fast. Oh. Like it totally blows Premiere Pro out of the water. Like, oh, really? Totally. It totally blows it out of the water. So, so in that way, you must be quite pleased with it in that performance. I, yeah. Yes, I am because... You know, I'm always into the speed and getting the most out of, you know, my computer and going working fast. And I mean, just the way that it handles native footage, you don't even like, I thought you'd have, I thought you had to transcode stuff in tr Final Cut. That was a misconception. And maybe it was in the beginning, but now you don't, uh, you don't have to, you can use native files. Oh, you can no yeah. more transcoding or uh, at least at this moment. Well, you can if you want to, and I think with slower computers, you might have to. Okay. But with my computer and my system, I was running three tracks of H.264 4K, and it was doing fine. Wow, really? Yeah. You, can, you, can, the, you can do that. You could not do that with Premiere Pro, right? No, with Premiere Pro, it would just crash or choke or take forever to even, you know, respond when I clicked on something. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So, and... And so that part is really cool. And just scrubbing through the, the project, timeline, sequence, whatever they call it. it <laughs> if you just take your, your playhead and just kind of scrub through it, it just shows everything. There's no delay. Oh, wow. Yeah, you can just like skim through it and see all the different... Like it was on videotape or something. Yeah, like you were just fast-forwarding through videotape or whatever and then click on it. It's just there. I, I, I'm not quite sure how, how they make it so fast and why Premiere Pro can't be this fast. <laughs> right. but, but somehow they've made it this fast. And and I don't know if it's just because it's optimized for Mac OS and they're using some tricks that Premier, you know, Adobe doesn't know about, or maybe just Adobe is not focused on that area. But um, yeah, the the thing that's very impressive is the speed. That's the most impressive thing to me. So so far, with regards to that, that that seems to be the 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 really big selling point for you is is the speed you're able to to process some of these projects. 
for me, that's that's the ninety percent of the reason right now that I'm attracted to it. Right, right. If right. If, if Premiere Pro was as fast, I wouldn't even consider it. Sure, I wouldn't even consider Final Cut. But because yeah. of the speed of this, you are actually now considering jumping ship, and uh, and and going to uh, Final Cut Pro. I I am seriously considering it. I'm I'm putting the time in and learning and putting you know risking some stuff by by you know essentially experimenting experimenting and yeah. trying to do it on some pro projects yeah you know like the other day i actually used it for the first time the other day on on something professional and it was very very very, very simple all, all i needed to do was to edit a webinar okay. that somebody gave me sure and so it was just one track of really low res stuff right you know and in premiere pro i could have done that in premiere pro it wouldn't have had an issue with speed but i decided to do it in final cut um and it took me like instead of taking me five minutes <laughs> right it took me like half an hour because i didn't know what i was doing in final cut oh right just, yeah just, just sim- because where to find things and all this yeah. kind of thing sure yeah and there's going to be that kind of learning curve for a while where things just take a lot longer than they should sure um so you know for example just even exporting a file like how do you how do you export a file right in, in final cut it's really obscure it is huh you know how to mix something how to how to get some audio happening and how to choose your encoding um, format. It's, it's kind of obscure. Wow. It's not, it's not as well laid out. You know, I, I, I see Premiere Pro and, and the early Final Cut 7 as being like an anal, it's kind of like an analogy to all the systems we'd used in the past of film editing and audio mixing and, you know, like a mixing board and effects channels and sends and, and all this analog stuff. Right. And I see, Final Cut 10 being, eh, throw that all the way. That's old. That's old analog stuff. That had to we're be revamping way. the entire thing. Yeah, we're just changing the paradigm. Just think differently when well, you do this. Yeah. Just like my obsolete Mac. So uh, <laughs> it's the exact same thing. Your, your obsolete Final Cut 7. That's, that, that, yeah. that's what it is. Something yeah, brand new. Probably obsolete or vintage. Well, I'm uh, I'm excited to to hear a little bit more about this, and and we should delve into this in our next episode. Um, I think that you know uh, by the time we get that out, you probably will have mastered Final Cut Pro. So uh, it'll, yeah, it'll be it'll won't be Final Cut Ten anymore. It'll be Final <laughs> Cut Eleven. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and then and then by then they'll switch back to the normal way. Ah, we tried that. That different stuff didn't work. Right. We're going to go back to the old way. <laughs> right exactly <laughs> exactly well uh, uh, th- th- that's exciting I, I i i can't wait to hear more about it uh i think i think it'll be very interesting uh for everyone to hear if you if you actually jump ship and uh and go back to uh uh fcp and and see if if that really works out for you well good yeah. luck good luck on that thanks yeah thanks. that's great and i think we'll talk about other fun cinematography stuff like uh I don't know. We'll 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 find some interesting new things to talk about. Well, th- the there's going to be plenty of things. I mean, like you know, because at this particular point, it, here's what I'm going to do too. Because I'm still on this A6500 kick, <laughs> is that it, it's? I think I think they might be just shipping it out now for yeah. people who have ordered it, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. not a whole lot of people. I mean, there were some people who were able to take footage, but that was at a Sony event that people were invited to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if anyone has one in their hands yet, so I'm waiting for that to happen. And uh, you know, when 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 the ordinary you know Joe gets it, 
see what it looks like, see what they can get out of it, you know, right out of the box. And, uh, you know, we'll have a lot more to talk about when it comes to that stuff. Okay. All right. Sounds fun. Sounds fun. Uh, fantastic. Keith, always a, uh, a, a terrific time with you. Uh, let's remind the good folks at home how uh, they can reach us here at TechMove. Uh, what's, our, what's our website again? It's techmovepodcast.com. Excellent, excellent. And uh, one real big thing that we'd like to do, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is also invite you to uh, help support the podcast. And you can do that by going to techmovepodcast.com slash Amazon. And what that will do is anything you buy on Amazon, uh, if you go to that link I just uh, uttered, uh, you'll actually help support our podcast by uh, by buying through that link. Isn't that right, Keith? Mm-hmm. That's right. So it's very easy. Yeah. So it'll help us. It'll throw a, a couple shillings towards us, and uh, we'll see what happens uh, with mm-hmm. it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe, maybe I can get that uh, Metabones instead of a Comlite or something like that. You know. <laughs> uh, also, folks, remind uh, reminder for you to subscribe to us on iTunes. And you can find us at Tech Move. And uh, hey, keep giving us reviews. Of course, only good ones, but give us reviews. Uh, you know, it's been a while since that part has been updated, and we'd love to uh, see your feedback and uh, you know tell us um, you know how uh, how we've uh, completely endangered your <laughs> lives by having you fall asleep at the wheel. Uh, we also have a Facebook page which is uh, has a lot of activity on it. Keith, how do they get to the Facebook page. Uh, I think it's facebook.com slash techmovepodcast. I think that sounds good. Either yeah. that or just search for it, right? Tech yeah, Move just podcast. search for Tech Move Podcast. Yeah, yeah, you'll find it. Uh, we also have a Twitter page, uh, which I think has a little activity on it. It's at Tech Move Podcast. And you can also listen to us on Stitcher. And there we advise you to search for Tech Move. Um, Hey, another one in the can. It's fantastic. Keith, thank you so much for, for all the guidance and all the confusion that you've put towards me uh, with regards to everyone trying to sell me a different camera than the one that I've set my heart on. Um, I might just go back to Polaroid, uh, frankly, or um, or Instamatic. I might oh, I, uh, think about Yeah, that. actually, next episode I can talk about my, my foray into that. Okay. <laughs> that, that, that'll be fantastic how, how, how you turned a Polaroid camera into a 4K cinema camera right with lots of batteries with a lot of <laughs> <laughs> alright fantastic hey uh, ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for listening uh, we greatly appreciate it for Keith Moreau I have been Rod Louie and we want to thank you very much for joining us and we will see you next time on another episode of Tech Move. Thank you so much. 